Hello, hello everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate to help out the show. Please help us continue to do the most excellent and necessary work in the world, the bringing of philosophy before it's all too late, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. So four great callers tonight, one in particular I treasured muchly. The first caller, what does it mean to be an evil person? How do you know the difference? between someone who was evil and someone who was just reacting to an abused or traumatic past? A great question, and a pretty good and important dividing line between sympathy and combat. The second caller, yes, this is the one I was talking about. She's 19 years old. She just got out of a brief but very, as she describes it, intense relationship with a guy who was almost 30. And wait till you hear just a few other details about this Man, and the conversation that followed was fantastic. Third caller, this year, 150th birthday of Canada. That is some crusty maple syrup, I'm telling you right there. And this guy, he's from Quebec, and he's asking himself, what is Canada? What does it mean to be Canadian? What values could it claim to represent? It's a great question, and I did talk for those who are interested, and I think it's a great story my initial impressions of Canada in my tour of the colonies. So the fourth caller wants to know what has happened to men and their power. He watched his parents get divorced two years ago and watched his father become a shadow of his former self. He's sort of waking up to the fact that there are broken men and emasculated young boys all around him. What is going on and what can he do to become a real man and reclaim his masculine power? It's a great question. And I'm afraid I got a little religious in the answer. I hope it makes some sense. It certainly did to me. I hope it will to you. So here we go. Here we go. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and use the affiliate link at fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. All right. Well, first today we have Tom. Tom wrote in and said, What does it mean to be an evil person, and how do you distinguish an evil person from someone reacting to a traumatic past? For most of my life, I grew up believing that no one was truly evil, but rather it was the harsh circumstances of one's life that cornered people into evil actions. I believe this moral relativism is something our culture and government embeds into our beliefs at a young age because if we cannot recognize evil, we cannot begin to fight against it. I have Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party to thank for showing me what an evil person might look like. When I witnessed so much greed and cruelty from the left, the notion that they were misguided no longer held up. That's from Tom. Hey, Tom, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing excellent. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. I appreciate that. Uh, let's, Let's hope we can keep it up. So, evil. Now, I mean... I've got a bunch of podcasts on evil, but it has been a while since we've talked about the topic. So to me, you know, if if a toddler finds a gun and is playing with it and the gun goes off and shoots a dog, we don't say that the toddler is morally responsible, I would assume. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, a toddler doesn't even know what a gun is. I mean, doesn't know what it's for, doesn't know what the trigger is. It's just bad luck. For the dog, right? However, if there's an adult who is a gun trainer, like trains people 
in guns, knows what the safety is, knows how to hold it, knows how to point it, knows how to load it, knows aim for the center of man, like all this stuff, right? If somebody trains other people in the use of firearms and that person shoots someone, eh, they're probably a little bit more likely to be morally responsible, right? Right. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily the concept of evil itself. I, I wait, feel wait, pretty wait, black and on, white. Hang on. <laughs> We're going off in some different direction already. Let me just finish this okay, case. Sorry. All right. Then we'll go off in that other direction. And the difference is, Tom, that the firearms instructor knows firearms and uses firearms and, in fact, instructs other people in firearms. So the difference is between the toddler and the gun instructor is that if you lecture other people on morals, if you tell other people what is virtuous, if you use ethics, then you are susceptible to ethics. Now, you can have had a traumatic childhood, you could have had a bad upbringing, you could have all these kinds of things. None of that gives you the predilection to necessarily use ethics in your interactions with other people, right? So, you know, like Kaczynski, right? The guy from K-File who recently got into... I guess some hot water by talking about or talking about CNN's desire to reveal the personality of the person who created or may have created this Trump wrestling CNN to the ground kind of mean. You know, apparently in the past, he was really appalled at people who doxed, you know. (laughs) So it's like, okay, so now you're morally responsible. The moment you say to other people, thou shalt not steal, then you are morally responsible for Stealing. The moment you say to other people, it's important to treat others with dignity and respect, and the moment you start screaming at someone and calling them names, then you are morally responsible. If you use ethics, you're subject to ethics. Now, that having been said, there is a layer of abstraction that's tough for people to follow, right? So just about everyone would say, don't steal, but it's harder for people to understand that taxation is theft, right? So it is, there's a lot of propaganda around that, which is why when I talk to people initially, you know, if I, if I talk to someone about ethics and they say, oh, yeah, stealing from shops is cool, you know, there's like, okay, well, you're just like a really, really vile specimen and all that. But if they say, oh, no, it's important to respect property rights, you shouldn't steal, I don't immediately condemn them for not understanding that taxation is theft, because that is kind of outside the matrix of everyday ethics that most, pe- most people operate in. So what it means to be an evil person is to have a very strong understanding of ethics, to have a very strong understanding of virtue, to use that to control other people, and then to disobey that yourself. I'll give you a tiny example. It's a big example historically, but it's relatively focused. So when communists want to take over a country, they want to gain control of property in that country. Like the the, the RAND in South Africa just took a massive dip because there's rumors that the ANC-controlled government in South Africa is thinking of nationalizing the central bank. Ooh. Ha. <sighs> and then we will witness the appalling spectacle of a country enormously rich in gold having a virtually worthless currency. Just another one of the paradoxes that happen when you go full lefty. But the communists get into power. First thing they do, nationalize, nationalize, nationalize. They take, they take, they take, they control, they control, they control. And then do you know what they say? Property is theft. It's like, well, in communism, it kind of is, because the government defines everything as property, this means of productions, and steals the living hell out of it from everyone else. So, so yeah, I mean, the communists say, well, you know, private property is bad, property is bad, control over the means of production is exploitation, so we want to have property, we want to control the means of exploitation. Well, 
Um, you can't condemn property and then want to nationalize stuff because that's just the people in the government treating industries and factories and means of production they did not create as um, stuff to be looted. So the thief is evil if the thief steals some guy's wallet and then someone else grabs the wallet from the thief and the thief is outraged. Well, he's evil because he is denying property rights by stealing someone's wallet and then he's affirming property rights by being outraged that someone is stealing from him. So uh, if you have people in your life who use ethics, this happens on the left all the time. All the time. You see this with the CNN fiasco recently where it's like, well, if you have the realistic depiction of somebody who looks like Donald Trump being ritualistically slaughtered in a pool of blood by minorities every night that Shakespeare in the Park is running, well, that's just art, man. That's just artistic expression. That's free expression, man. What are you, some kind of square who doesn't like people that express themselves? Or Kathy Griffin holding up the severed head, you know, the, you know, the usual stuff. But then when there's a goofy meme created of Trump fake tackling a logo, suddenly this is incitement to violence because logo lives matter. So this is the hypocrisy of the left. They know exactly what incitement to violence uh, is, uh, which is one of the reasons why they, I think, tend to do it quite a lot. So they're responsible because they get all hysterical when it comes to even minor violations of ethics that they Im inflict upon others. Uh, and uh, it is um, that, that's how we know, I think, the hideous evil of this sort of stuff. So that's my sort of brief introduction to how you can identify evil and what it means and, and why evil people are responsible rather than just ignorance. But I, you had a point that you wanted to make earlier? Yeah, um, I think that's an excellent summary and it, it really hits the point on, on what evil is in better words than I can put. Um, the part that I wanted to focus on particularly, and I think it's important to add in, I grew up with a fairly Christian upbringing um, which gets into the nature of forgiveness, which is uh, where this comes from. Um, but particularly, there's this tendency to always assume that it's they, they had a hard upbringing and blah blah blah, and it, it was it was a hard childhood or a hard life circumstances that led them to you know one step to the next to the actions that would definitely be considered evil. They didn't just start out this way. Well, that's because the soul is created by God, but is uh, corrupted by the devil. And it cannot be corrupted, I guess, in certain traditions, in Catholic tradition. I don't know if there still is, because the doctrine seems to be in flux these days. No hell anymore, other than CNN. But um, uh, there is mortal sins, right, where you, you commit a murder or something else where you, you cannot, no matter what, you cannot gain entrance into heaven. But there are a lot of Christian sects or, or Christian belief systems wherein the potential moral perfectibility or recovery of your soul is always available. Like you can do horrible things, but if you repent and you make amends, particularly on your deathbed and so on, then you have a chance of getting into heaven. And that's because, of course, in, in, in the Christian worldview, as is the case with most religious worldviews, you have a soul that is not of this world, not of this plane, and it is immortal and it is perfect. Uh, and you are tempted, of course, by the devil, by the flesh, by the material um, temptations around you, but you have this soul, and therefore the possibility of redemption and forgiveness always exists. This does not appear to coincide with the physiology of evil, the fact that uh, empathy is like 13 different complex mental systems that all have to develop in sequence, and if you miss the window for developing empathy, there doesn't seem to be any way or consistent way that people have of being able to regenerate empathy in you 
later on. It's like the language window. You know, if you don't learn language by the age of sort of nine or 10, you're always going to have trouble with it. So nobody knows, I think, how to reform like sociopaths and just like straight on evil people and pedophiles and so on. Nobody knows how to reform that group and a huge amounts of energy and effort have been poured into trying to figure that out. So the physiology of the brain appears to harden over time. And if you don't have empathy, I don't think, you know, people can correct me uh, when this goes out uh, as the show, but my understanding and what I've read uh, most recently is that nobody knows how to fix empathy later on. So the idea that you have a soul that is perfectible and the right combination of words can unlock the divine perfection of virtue within you, no matter what you've done in your life, does not appear to coincide or, or match the physiology of evil that, you know, what starts off as cobwebs ends up as chains. And there does seem to become a point wherein recovery of the personality, recovery of humanity, recovery of empathy, and so on, appears to be to all intents and purposes practically impossible. And I think that's one of the reasons, like me knowing about that, although I was raised as a, as a Christian and, and accept and understand and, and respect some of the Christian values, in this particular instance, the idea that you can mirror Jesus's or God's capacity to forgive, and through that process, you can engender or grow virtue in another human being, that the conscience and the soul is always available to us, that virtue is always available to us. You just need to figure out the right combination of words and gestures and whatever it is you're going to do to unlock it. It doesn't uh, seem to fit. Like if, if a smoker corrupts his lungs completely, they're all cancerous and all, all messed up. There's no magical pair of, of ghostly perfect backup lungs that you can, in, in case of emergency, get the backup ghost lungs. And it's the same thing with the conscience. If you haven't developed it, if, if through either your choices or your environment or probably both, you just don't have a conscience, there is no ghost conscience backup that anyone knows how to activate contra to what uh, Christianity often teaches. Does, does that make sense in terms of that? Uh, yeah. Um... And I guess that runs into where I'm struggling with on a personal level is because there's I, there's a part of me that knows, uh, you know, I, I can look at a historical figure like a Hitler or a Stalin and I can, I mean, they're evil, but there's this, there's this part of me from, I mean, not just Christianity, but the way we were like childhood in general that you put an actual face to it. You know, I can look at uh, a Barack Obama, for example, who can do drone strikes on a massive number of children in foreign countries and generally think, well, he's probably a good guy and misguided. And I know that's not true. I mean, to an extent that you can do drone strikes on children, you just can't be a good person, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm in this weird conflict of you know, a, a part of me with the way I was raised and conflict the way I'm thinking now. So I guess that's part of what I'm struggling with. And if that's the case, you know, um, what does it take to expose someone who is evil in a sense? If, if, if someone could do something so dramatic as, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton with the Clinton Foundation or whatever, and I can still sit there and because I see an actual face of a human being and I can still think after all that, that, oh, maybe they're misguided. Why does it take such an extreme amount for me to see anything else? It's it's a weird program. I think it's a programming from childhood or something to get over. But Did you used to be uh, on the left of the political spectrum at any point in your life? No. Um, I mean, I grew up in a fairly... Uh, somewhat 
uh, I guess conservative, but almost somewhat libertarian family, uh, minimal spanking and everything. Um, so it's, you know, that's why I'm thinking maybe somewhere in the Christian upbringing, but it's hard for me to point to. Well, look, I mean, the desire to rescue existing power structures is, is, is very deeply embedded in our minds. Because if we can tweak existing power structures, existing ways of organizing society, then we don't have to have any fundamental changes. Because fundamental changes are extremely risky in societies as a whole, which is why, you know, the kick the can down the road, the extend and pretend, the borrow and borrow and borrow is what continues in society because fundamental changes are incredibly resisted, incredibly volatile, usually result in staggering levels of internecine violence and so on. So the idea is like, well, maybe we have a terrible system. Maybe we have a terrible system that not only attracts bad people, but makes people bad as well, as a whole. Now, if that's the case, then trying to reform the system by having better people run it is, in the long run, going to be not uh, working, right? And so we have this great thirst for the idea that we can reform bad people, because if we can't reform bad people, then we have to reform bad systems. And if we have to reform bad systems and we can't reform bad people, then we can't reform the bad systems by putting good people in there in the long run. And therefore, we have to start looking at changing systems, which is a highly volatile thing to do, and something which, you know, it's like it's like the guy um, who fell down the, the cliff and got his arm trapped between two rocks, and he's like, well, the only way I can survive is by taking that penknife and hacking off my own arm, and it's like, that's that's not first on your list. It's like, hey, before I figure out if I'm stuck, maybe I should just hack my arm off. It's like that's the very last resort. And uh, so um, I, we, we do have a great hunger for trying to figure out if we can make bad people good or if we can make bad systems good because the alternative, which is to change the system, is um, is risky and difficult and pr- provokes an enormous amount of, of conflict. I mean, if you look at Donald Trump, the system that he's trying to reform – the Overton window of what is allowed to be reformed in the American political system is very small. I mean, he's supposed to have complete control over immigration, but he can barely get anything passed in the realm of immigration. Uh, nobody's talking about the true libertarian goals of, say, like no welfare state, no social security, no pensions, no no um, Medicare, no Medicaid. You know, like, even just to extract Obamacare from the existing medical tangled government controlled setup is proving to be what seems to be a nigh impossible. A task. So uh, it is a, a great deal uh, of diff- it's a great deal of challenge, great deal of difficulty to change systems. I mean, there's a great case to be made for immigration into the first world, saying, look, in the next forty years, a significant proportion of jobs are going to be automated. And of course, like in factories, it's been going on for a long time. But we're talking knowledge workers as well. I mean. I don't think it's far off, and I think in some places it's already been achieved. Of course, you know, like facial recognition computers are better. Um, Chess computers are now better. Medical diagnosis uh, and um, uh, proposals for treatment have been growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, Robot surgeons, uh, like it's it's not just old truckers and guys who drive forklifts and so on. There is going to be a massive revolution in automation over the next uh, generation, generation and a half. So bringing in massive amounts of fairly uneducated third world people at a time when 
jobs are being automated like nobody's business. You know, people will say, well, you know, Japan's got declining birth rate. And there are, I saw these photos in the <laughs> today of, here's my selfie with my sex robot. Oh, I should probably not be saying that here. Japan, Japanese guy says, here's my selfie with my sex robot. They say, oh, well, you know, the Japanese is like, well, but all of this automation, maybe they can provide for all of their, uh, this is a country which has more adult diapers being sold to child diapers. But who knows how this is going to shake out? And so, you know, this is one of the arguments like stop immigration because we don't know what, there's never been a revolution like this before in history, this level of uh, automation. Uh, and and the thing is too, there was in, in agriculture, at the turn of the last century, like 70, 75% of Americans were involved in agriculture. Now it's like 2% and declining. But when people left the farm, they had the cities and the factories to go to. Now, when things are automated, at the moment, the demand for low IQ people, uh, the demand for repetitive skill people, the demand for any skill that can be reliably reproduced by self-learning, by neural nets and so on, is going to decline, decline, decline. And at the same time, bringing in all of these people, I mean, uh, I mean, it's just, it's complete madness. Uh, in my view, um, immigration should be completely rethought until this process shakes out because uh, who knows where it's going to land. Hmm. So you're saying it's almost it, because it's easier in a sense to hope that the person can change than to take any steps. It's it, it's sort of almost like a the easy way out or. Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the easy way out. It's easier. And if you can get better people into a system, then that's what you should do. Like, so, for instance, let's say you've got some company, just ABC company. And the doddering old founder, who was very good at the business, handed over the business to his daughter. And his daughter's terrible at it, right? Well, in that situation, you have a good business with a bad manager, bad CEO. So then you replace the CEO and the business recovers. You don't just sit there and say, well, let's shut the whole thing down because we've got a bad leader, bad manager, right? You could have a, um, a sports team that is foundering because of a bad coach. You don't just disband the whole sports team. You get a better coach. So there are times where the system is reasonable, but the leadership is terrible or the employees are terrible or whatever it's going to be. The business idea is good, but the people who execute it are bad. And therefore, you don't shut down the whole thing. You just replace the leadership. Now, there are other times, I think, like communism. It doesn't matter who's in charge of communism. It's never going to work. Never going to work. It's a pretty funny meme floating around, you know. Things that children need to hear. You're special. I love you. You can do it. You know, you can be anything that you want to be. And communism has failed every single time it's been tried. <laughs> Things that children need, need to hear. So communism, you, you can't make it. Uh, you can't make it work. Kidnapping people to make them love you. <laughs> like that's not, oh, we get a better kidnapper or, or kidnap the right people and so on. And so the difference between a decent system that needs better leaders versus a system that is so bad that leadership, well, first of all, a normal sane human being would not want to be attracted to, to would not want to be in charge of a communist system because they wouldn't have the vanity. Or, But if they did, right, there's an interesting study uh, that is uh, worth uh, mentioning. You can do a search for the title. It's called Power Robs the Brain of Empathy. And um, it's it, 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 researchers have found even the smallest bit of power, like like more money, a, a job promotion, shuts down our ability to empathize with others, right? So these mirror neurons, you know, like if you see this thing, uh, the, these funny videos, some guy gets hit with a nut shot and you're like, oh, you know, you kind of feel it. Oh, that's a mirror neuron. 
that's uh, firing, and the um, mirror neurons uh, are diminished when um, uh, w- when people have more power or feel more powerful. So power seems to grow by eating empathy, by eating mirror neurons, which is one of the reasons why if you have a shred of, uh, of empathy when you go into a system of, of high power, uh, it is likely that the power is going to diminish it. So uh, this is something to, to watch out for and uh, something to be aware of. So if power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, then all systems based on political power, uh, on, on coercion, on a monopoly of the initiation of force, will fail in the long run. And this is true, you know, Trump or no Trump. Trump, for me, is to buy time to continue to have a conversation about uh, voluntarism within uh, society. He's a way of fighting demographics that will make that conversation impossible. But uh, he won't He won't turn the United States government into a voluntarist paradise. This is uh, just buying time and getting the media out of the way so we can have conversations without uh, escalating hysteria uh, from, from the media. So, yeah, it's it's very tempting to say... You know, is this just a bad company? We need a better manager, or is it communism? And it's got to be done away with completely. Right. That's interesting. Um, it makes me wonder too how much. Just as you're going on, I kind of thought about the tangent that I feel as though I personally have gone through a lot of change in my own life in terms of improving. I wasn't always. Uh, consider myself you know I was somewhat selfish and stuff as younger and I've ch- changed myself a bit uh, at least I think and I hope so um, so I wonder how much of that is just projecting onto other people if I could do it maybe they can too but you've brought up the point that uh, not everyone has the same capacity for empathy if it never developed at some point just IQ do it all differences. no just do it all just do it all what do you mean Think of a conversion to Christianity. From what I've heard, it tends to happen as a crash boom bang. You don't sort of buy a house five miles from the church, then four miles from the church, then three miles, then put a toe inside, then it's like, boom, I'm there, right? I'm there. And for me, with philosophy, if I could rewind and do some stuff over again, uh, I would have just gone all the way early on. Now, I went as far as I was able to go, not emotionally, but intellectually. I generally went as far as I could go, but I did not, I I went deep, I didn't go horizontal. So if I had, like, could go back and give myself advice to my younger self, which is part of what some of these conversations with y'all young men and women are about, it is to say, just go all the way. Just like, this is a band-aid. <laughs> You know, don't do it hair by hair. This is agony, right? Don't do it little bit by little bit. Non-aggression principles, self-knowledge, honesty, virtue, courage. Just do it all. This gradualism in theory is perpetuity in practice. And so if you're going to accept values, just accept them and do it all. Just do it all. It will be a relief. There's not this one foot on the pier, one foot on the boat, drifting apart kind of nonsense. Uh, you just, you go all the way. You commit. You make it 150%. You do it deep in yourself. You do it deep into truth. You do it horizontally across your relationships. And you get your shit organized as quick as humanly possible so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labors. Because we all have a lot of mental baggage to jettison, Tom, right? I mean, it's like we're all starting this thing 400 pounds heavy. Now, if you're 400 pounds heavy, you say, well, I'm 30, 
I think my goal is I'm going to lose a pound a year, right? No, you, you, you lose the weight as fast as safely possible. I mean, if that includes chainsawing off your belly, <laughs> if that were safe, you'd include that too. You want to try and get as, uh, to, to where you're going to be as quickly as humanly possible so you can really build things from there. You know, like if you want to move from one place to another. You don't just take, you know, okay, here's the toothpaste cap. And now next month, I'm going to take one slipper. And it's like, no, just move. Go there. Be there. Build your new house there and grow from there. So um, I think a lot of what you're doing, and I could be wrong, but a lot of what you're doing is like, can I do it incrementally? Can I do it without upsetting too much? Can I do it without too much risk for myself, for society, for friends, for family, for relationships? Can I do it a little bit at a time? And you want to do that because you don't want to do it as yet. Once you want to do it, you do it. When I was in theater school, there was uh, an acting teacher. He was uh, okay, not great. But I do remember one thing he said. So as actors, you know, like their big thing, can you cry? It was a big thing. If crying were acting, my mom would get an Oscar every year. But, um, and so people would be like uh, trying to make themselves cry. And uh, so he said, stop that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And we didn't understand. It's like, but he said, okay, let me, let me explain this to you. So he had me sit in a chair and he said, okay, Steph, try to get out of the chair. And I'm like, it takes a little, try to, try to get out of the chair. And you're straining and you're wiggling your butt. And you're trying to get out of the chair. Right? And he's like, is that fun to watch? And people are like, No. <laughs> It looks kind of tense and stressful, actually. And he says, okay, Steph, get out of the chair. And I just stood up, right? And that right. has always stuck with me in terms of getting things done. And that's been a very much, a very motivating image for me, you know? Just get out of the chair. Stop being a chair-sitting guy. And get up out of the chair and, and walk and get where you want to go. Don't do this incrementalism stuff. It's, uh, it's torture to everyone involved. Uh, yeah, I can see where it leads to that. Um, it gives me a lot to think about. That's not something to reply immediately to. All right. Well, listen, I got uh, so, a huge mass of callers tonight. I really appreciate the call. Yeah. I'm glad it was helpful. Yeah, and, I appreciate um, the time, Steph. You're very yeah. welcome, man. Take care. All right. Up next, we have Kirsten. She wrote in and said, I am 19 years old, and I just got out of a very brief but intense relationship with an almost 30-year-old divorcee who has two children. He was suffering from many mental problems. He was an alcoholic, drug addict, and about to get kicked out of the Navy. We initially started out with a very intense relationship that he very quickly ended, which ended in disillusionment, anxiety, and a pregnancy scare. I am a very marriage-minded woman, and this incident has left me questioning my values. What can I do to find myself a morally good husband? That's from Kirsten. Is it Kirsten or Kirsten? Uh, it's Kirsten. Kirsten. Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Marriage-minded woman. Kirsten, this is what you, how you describe yourself. Yes, sir. I'm not sure that you are, in fact, if I can disagree with you from the very, very beginning. Um, I think that Come on, I this have... guy was not marriage material, right? No, no, it was quite a fall from grace. Huh? It was quite a fall from grace no, for it myself. Wasn't. No, don't elevate this like it was some true passionate love that just somehow mysteriously went wrong. 
This guy had mauga, 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 right? This guy had like red flags and danger signs and here be quicksand and there be dragons all <laughs> over him. Don't, don't, you can't, I mean, I'm not saying you are, but I just don't want to waste any time on this conversation, which I'm really looking forward to. I don't want to waste any time with you saying things mysteriously went wrong. No, no, I'm going to take full responsibility for what I did. Okay. Got it. Like I, I, I accept what I did was wrong, and I accept that I had quite a, uh, I, I stepped into a sticky situation from the jump. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I accept it, and I know that, and I, and I'm trying to move on from it. <laughs> okay, so what was attractive about this guy? <sighs> oh my gosh! You know what? <laughs> From the, jeez, I, oh, I don't know. I, I have no clue. Honestly, I what? feel like. You no, put I mean, yourself in this kind of risk. Alcoholic, I, drug addict, about to get kicked out of the Navy. I didn't know all of this. And I you're like, well, I don't, I don't know what I found this. attractive about him at all. I didn't. So, okay, so listen, I didn't know all of his problems from the jump. You didn't when know I, that he had mental problems? No, I had to learn this until he was crying on his bedroom floor, calling me up that he was like going to end it all, you know, drunk. When he was as talking hell. about end it all. You mean the relationship or his life? No, his life. And there was, are you saying that there was no indication of instability before that phone call? Oh. There, no, 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 no. I'll he dig till I find it. So you might as well fess up now. <laughs> all right. Well, when I met him, he sort of just was like, like seemed like a real rational guy, you know, like woo me over being like, you know, this is who I am. I'm, you know, I love what I do for work. I, uh, I, uh, I'm a good guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've, I've seen it all. I'm like, cool. I think what was attractive to me was like the fact that he had so much life experience not necessarily good life experience, but to you, me, yeah, I know. Listen, Kirsten, I am not buying any of this. I okay, have so never met a 19 year old woman who said I was really attracted to his life experience. <laughs> Come on, I, tell me what I, made you tingle. If you can't tell me what made you tingle, how on earth are you going to avoid this quicksand tingle in the future? What was it that made him like, oh, yeah, I'm jumping his bones. I'm all over that. <laughs> right. He seemed really tough and manly. Okay, tough and manly. Okay. Okay, I, I'm not sure what your definition of masculinity is, but mine doesn't involve in the, in lying the on the floor way. sobbing and wanting to end it all, but all right, he in seemed manly. In the wrong manly. way, in the wrong way. When I first met him, he seemed like a tough, manly guy. He presented himself as a tough, manly guy. Yeah, because you know who has a lot of life experience? Don Rickles, um, <laughs> who is like, what, 90 thousand years old or something like that now right you know who methuselah 850 years old big hit with the 19 year olds because of his excess of life experience i am um, honestly steph to be honest with you it's this experience is something that i never want to experience i know again. And i'm trying to help you with that but if you don't know what Thank drew you. you in there how are you going to know what to avoid so he was manly okay. Was he a dominant guy? Was he a take charge kind of guy? Was he like, I'll take the menus and I'll order for her? Was there like, what was it that made you think he was manly and I assume commanding or whatever it was? Um, he approached me initially. He seemed very dominant. He seemed like, um, 
he seemed he was older and the, I guess the fact that he was older to me seemed like um he instinctively or like on a philosophical not a philosophical on a psychological level that he could have been a good provider since he was older and I don't know why but for a while I I'm gonna have to confess that for a while in my life I found my I have found myself attracted to older guys (laughs) so I think he sort of at the time fit all my criteria as in you know he seemed he seemed stable to begin with. He seemed dominant. He seemed like a guy who could provide. He seemed like a guy who um, knew a lot about the world. All right. So, boy, if only you are not the first woman on the planet, Kirsten, to be very attracted to a dominant guy to pretend it's something else <laughs> and to want his resources, where it then turns out to be a complete nightmare. Are you listening, Europe? Because I hope you are. <laughs> So you are not not alone in this particular habit. So it's not age because you didn't great you didn't date a rich grandfather, right? No, sir. Right. So how handsome was he? Okay, listen. He wasn't very handsome, but he's a spitting image of my father. Oh, I'm sure that's just a complete coincidence, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Did he have no. any? Uh, sorry, you mean physically? He looks like your dad. Exactly. Yeah. And. Psychologically, how close was he to your father? Oh, gosh, like uh, carbon copy. When did you figure that out? I figured that out when the relationship was over. Over? Yeah. Like I said, it was real brief. How brief? Like not even two weeks, but it was brief and it was intense. Okay, well, what and do you mean was... by it? You say this intense thing, and <laughs> I, I don't, I never quite understand this. I mean, insanity is intense. You know what else is intense? Arsenic. <laughs> very, very intense experience. Uh, jumping out of an airplane uh, onto a, a field full of spikes and staplers. Very, very intense. Setting yourself on fire. Very intense. You keep using this word intense. I don't know what it means. Yes, sir. Um, I would say that uh, it, it was the type of relationship where where I where both of us bet it all in in the first hand huh? something that bet all in in the first no, hand. no I, I like heard the sentence it's just I don't know what that means <laughs> like went too fast too soon it was like it, 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 I don't know how to explain it it was like a okay how long when uh, how, after meeting him how long was it before you had sex a week a week all right and what does that mean all in like you, uh, you're planning your lives together. You're going to get married. You're going to move in. Yeah, like yeah, there was a discussion about marriage. Like we talked about marriage. Was that before the weekend that you had sex? And I think it was sooner than that. But let's go with the week uh, before the weekend that you had sex, or after that. It was before. Oh, so before stupid. you even had sex, and before you've known each other uh-huh. even for a week, you're having conversations about getting married yes so you really got played right i got played like a fiddle you got played Uh, like a fiddle yeah 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 i mean you you, he knew you were marriage-minded and he's like yeah we can get married let's bang for a while and then oh i'm insane right i mean this is not how you want things to go obviously ever again in the future right 
Yeah, yes, sir. Definitely. Right, right. D- definitely not that way. Do you have people in your life, Kristen, who were warning you away from this quicksand of rampant and confusing testosterone vortex, dude? Um. What did you say... did you try and fly solo? I can handle this on my own. Hey, I'm 19. <laughs> Yes, sir. My mother. <laughs> and what did your mother say? She said, um, you don't know him. She well, After she met him, she was, okay, so she, initially when I met him and I went out with him, she said, you know, you don't know him from, from Jack Diddley. You don't know what he's up to. You don't know what, it, what his deal is. He could be, he could murder you and, and nobody would know, you know, he, he could be crazy. She was telling me that. And then at one point, um, my mom met him. And when my mom met him, she was on my side as as in in the family, like, you know, oh, this guy's good. He seems like a good hearted person. He seems like a decent individual. Is your mother still together with your father? Um, Yes. However, their relationship is very um, not not very good. It's on the rocks. Yeah, 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 I get I get that. I, I mean, if this guy's like your dad, I, you kind of don't need to tell me that, but I don't mind that you did. So your right. mother, in terms of judging men, uh, uh-huh. not good, right? Yes, sir. Not very good. Not very good. All right. I drive blindfolded, but I'd love to teach you. Right. So. Right. So at, at one point, my mother was saying, she was on my side of, as in like, oh, he's real good. Like. You know, and I was telling my mom, I'm like, I plan on going and spending the weekend with him. He's going to have his colleagues over. And so my mom was on my side, uh, as in convincing my dad to let me go out with this guy. And so she ended up convincing my dad. And my dad's like, okay, yeah, like, what are you getting yourself into, Kirsten? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just going to spend the weekend with him. And at one point, I have to mention this because I do believe it's a crucial piece of the puzzle. Um, at one point, he invited over his um, shipmates, his uh, his colleagues. And when uh, when he went, he uh, we were having a bonfire and um, he he stepped away to go uh, call somebody in the house, like to answer the door or something for more of his shipmates. And we were in the backyard and I was in the backyard with um, one of his colleagues and, and this guy was 26 and he has two kids and he's married. And he told me, he said, um, I just met you. I don't know you, uh, but I just want to tell you, I, I feel like you might be going down the wrong path with him. He's got uh, he's got a problem with uh, opioids. He's got a problem with uh, alcohol and I don't want you getting in a sticky situation. So uh, you might want to, you might want to think about your relationship. And I said, I said, okay. And I ignored this guy. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. First of all, that guy should get a medal. And this is the kind of stuff which we should all be doing. Everyone should be doing this. Who knows stuff like prevent this kind of heartbreak from happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Why did you ignore this guy? Um, uh, well, initially after this guy told me uh, about um, this guy, about the guy I was with. Um, I don't know if I should use this name no, or don't. make a, a fake one, but can I say like Bob yeah, or something? <laughs> okay. Um, he told me about Bob. He said like, uh, you know, Bob's no good. And, and at this point in time, 
we had already slept together. So I felt like, oh, shit, I'm already, like, knee-deep. I feel like I, I'm not one to sleep around, honestly. So I felt like, I don't know, I felt like, in a sense, wait, wait, wait. part of Sorry to interrupt you. I'm just, bookmark that thought. I'm just, you, you, you slept with this guy within a week of knowing him, but you're not one to sleep around? I don't quite follow. I've never done anything like that previously. Um I feel like this guy wooed me over real well. Do you know what I mean? Like so, so well that, that I, I felt like I just jumped in his bed. Like that's, that's so rational, right? No. Um, but what well, I was no, saying No, no. I mean, was, if you, it, it, this is why you don't jump in someone's bed within a week of knowing them. Right. I know. I know. I you know that, a, right? Yes. Sir, so then yes, you say, sir, well, I'm not someone who is too quick to sleep with someone. It's like, that's not what you just told me. Yeah. It's contradictory. No, yeah, it's just exactly. you, you did the wrong thing. Listen, I did. you know this about women, even more so than men, right? Whatever mm-hmm. you throw your vagina at, your heart will follow, right? Women bond with men. Yes. But whatever you throw your vagina at, your heart is going to follow, right? Yes, sir. That's true. And so when you sleep with a guy, in your heart, you're married. Now, you can get divorced, which is kind of this intensity thing, right? But it's like you're trying to cram a whole dating, courtship, marriage thing into like four days, five days, whatever it is, right? And so it's very intense. And I'm telling you, Kirsten, you can't do this much at all before your heart can no longer love. Right, because it's oh, a vulnerable position yeah. to be in. It's open-hearted. It's generous. I mean, you the man's lying on top of you or whatever the hell's going on. It's a very vulnerable position. <laughs> it requires yes, a lot sir, of yes. trust. It's very dependent. I mean, and, and you're in a very vulnerable position. It requires a lot of trust. You know this, and women as a whole know this, so they seem to be forgetting it. you got to stop setting off the V-bomb early on in the relationship because you bond. It becomes very intense, and every time you get your heart broken in this kind of way, you know, it's like that line in the U2 song, you can sew it up, but you still see the tear, right? I mean, you can only, you know, swing the penis bat in your china shop of future love for so long before everything comes crashing down, right? Right, yeah. And I uh, I totally ignored all of these red flags over and over again. And Okay, why, me- why, why? This is the question. Why? And why the hell do you want to become a stepmom? What are you, auditioning for a Disney movie, for God's sakes? Why on earth would you want to become... (laughs) Why would you want to become a stepmom? You want to fatten them up and cook them? I mean, what kind of... There's a reason why stepmoms are always these... Anyway, why? I mean, the facts you knew about the guy. Okay, why did he get divorced? Um, He said that he got divorced because while he was deployed, his wife cheated on him. Oh, so is he playing the victim in his day? I was a straight-up shooter, and she just, I mean, why? what does that mean? Does that mean he chose a woman who was going to sleep around on him? Is he really, really bad at judging people? Is he, like... He, um, like, early into the... I, yeah, yeah, sorry. I think he is very good at... Very bad at judging people for being, you know, who they are. But um, very early in the relationship, I asked him, why did you divorce your wife? Um, and he said... Uh, I I asked him, well, first I asked him why he married his wife. And he said, you know, I, I knocked her up. I'm like, And he's like thinking that 
I'm old fashioned and gentlemanly. I think I should have married her if I knocked him up. No, 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 like- no. Hang on. See, if he's really old fashioned and gentlemanly, he's not playing hide the salami before there's a ring on the finger. That's <laughs> no, not yes, really sir. very old fashioned and gentlemanly. I know, I know, I know. And so he said that he he decided to marry her because he got her pregnant. But he said that before, right before he was walking down the aisle, he said that like he had a vision or like a, a something in his head said this ain't going to last forever or, or, you know, you're going to get divorced soon. And so he, he said that he decided to just like, I don't know, like man up and marry her and get, you know, it's not very manly cause you're not doing her any uh, favors, but also I'm sure she t- fell from grace to get herself in that position as well. Just like what could have happened to me. Um, but I, yeah, no, I, I do not want to be a stepmom. And I, I feel like listening to you, listening to your podcasts and your YouTube videos and everything, I feel like you kind of red pilled me in a sense, as in like. But consensually. <laughs> consensually red Consensual red pill. <laughs> no, yes, sir. Cause I've been looking at like, um, re- like I've been really, um, digging deep and thinking about my own morals and, I've, I've been a conservative before this, but I felt like I didn't have very good values. You know, I wasn't thinking about values. And, and now, now that you mentioned, like, well, now that I mentioned, we're, we're talking about a man who's been divorced. I have a huge problem with divorce morally. I feel like if you're, if you're going to make a, you know, if you're going to make a commitment to someone, you're going to say you're going to be with them for the rest of your life through thick and thin. You're going to be able to work out your issues and everything. And so that's why now I have a huge problem with divorce. What about the kids, Kirsten? His kids. What about the kids? I never met them. No, I understand that. I understand that. But if you had gone on with a relationship with him, you would have ended uh-huh. up, you know, if when you, when you go out with someone who's been divorced – or who is divorced, mm-hmm. then either their partner is like a good person, in which case they got dumped for being a shitty person, in which right. case don't date, don't, don't date them, right? Or their ex is a crappy person, in which case, well, they choose crappy people that might include you, and that's A, and B, you're now locking yourself in to a 15-year relationship with a psycho ex, Right. Because you are yes, going to be I, there, she's going to be there, lawyers are going to be there, visitation rights are going to be problematic, people are going to want to move, there's going to be creepy, sinister new boyfriends of the old flame floating around, the kids are going to be traumatized, she might turn the kids against you, like, in, what a mess. Why on earth oh, would Lord. you want to step anywhere within 3,000 miles of such a quagmire? <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue. I I don't know. That that's that's quite a mess. That's quite a mess. Now. That's uh that's just that's a hurricane. Right. You are someone who drives men insane. You think so? Oh, I know so. <laughs> in and, what and not sense always of in the a good word? way. And not always in a good way. In um, what sense of the word? Like as in seductive or well, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, okay, how, where would you rate yourself on 1 to 10? Personally? Um, Everybody through, knows like, their number, you know, don't there, give me any of this no, false yeah, modesty yes, stuff. Steph, yes, yes, Steph, as in personal attractiveness or as in, like, physical attractiveness? Yeah, yeah or physical as, attractiveness. Okay. 
Um, I would say like the nine. I don't. I don't feel like I have any like um, physical. No, that's fair. Um, I think that's eyesores because I've been told I like I walk down the street, people will catcall me, people will ask me, random people will ask me out. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it. Sometimes it sort of. Okay. No, I understand that. Kirsten, sense. you have you are a very very attractive nineteen year old woman. Right? Sure, I would suppose. Yes. No, no. I mean, let's not have any, you know, we're adults talking about adult issues. Let's not have any sort of. Okay. Right? All right. Modesty out the window. Yeah, yeah. No, and- I mean, kind of, let's be frank. You know, this batting your eyelids. Well, I don't know. Like, you, 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 you're nine. I think that's fair. Maybe even more. So. I, I understand the power I have on people. And right. People. Yeah. Men. Well, <laughs> yes, no, sir. people, I guess. Uh, non men as well. But anyway. Right. So you. You could have any any man you want. Yes. Right. I mean, seriously, other than guys in a coma and guys happily married <laughs> like me, are there many men that you'd walked up to and say, Kristen would like a taste of you also, you know, come meet me at Hooters. <laughs> and would they say, no, nah, I'm sorry, I got to wash my hair tonight, right? Uh, unless they're blatantly homosexual, which was a problem with somebody I went out with in high school, I, I would I would presume there would be no issue. Wait, you went out, you went out with a gay guy too? Yeah, yeah, like he 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 like played me like a fiddle. He was just like, <sighs> yeah, I just yeah. And this is why in some cultures, the adult males, the elders determine who the young women marry. Yeah, no, his dad was real good, but his dad didn't even know he was gay. So you could have like just about any man you want. And these yes, are the men you choose. The gay guy and the lunatic. Drug addict. <laughs> Why? Yes, sir. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe uh, uh, problems from childhood. I don't know. Oh, that's just just you're reading that off like you're reading some foreign language. Come on. (laughs) Childhood? Yes, that's exactly right. That sounds like the pinnacle of self-knowledge to me. (laughs) Why do you think? Do you have any? Oh, I know why. I'm just I was just curious as to I'd like to know, because maybe it's too obvious for me to actually figure out. Uh, okay. <sighs> How many men have you slept with? One. This, just this guy? Well, I guess the gay guy didn't really count or didn't. No, no, he didn't. He didn't like that All right. type of thing. <laughs> yes, sir. Only one. I need you to put on this George Clooney mask, if you don't mind. Right. Um, I can tell you why I think. And then you could tell me if it makes any sense. All right. Let's say you met someone great, Mm -hmm. someone smart, virtuous, moral, perceptive, courageous, honest, all these things that women often say they want while heading in the direction of the biker bar to where people are breaking billiard cues over each other's heads and saying, oh, man. (laughs) I know I said all that stuff, but this guy with legs the size of garbage cans, I'm for him. Let's say that you met a really great guy, the kind of guy that women always say they want to get with, and um, he comes over for a family gathering. Okay. What do you think he's going to say about what he sees? Boy, you have a screwed up family. Right. Yeah. Now, Kirsten, if yes. such a 
wise and virtuous and knowledgeable and perceptive and honest man looks down the tunnel of time, not like this last guy seemed to look down the tunnel of you, looks down the tunnel of time (laughs) and says, if I sign up with this fine young lady, I could be spending the next 50 years with these people. Well, the only caveat to that is that one of them's on uh, in poor health, but I, I believe I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's not very attractive. I don't know if there's a number in the 10 digit scale enough to overcome that particular challenge. So, whose interests, Kirsten, are being served by you dating the men you date? This is the first question. When we're making bad decisions, it is clearly bad for you, obviously bad for you, obviously, blindingly obviously bad in advance, right? I mean, this you, you write these kinds of letters and like Mike and I have to use a car jack to get our jaws off the floor, right? And so... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> no, come on. I mean, you, you heard it, right? Come on. Yes. You know, I'm a 19-year-old ultra hottie and I thought it'd be great to divorce, to, 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 to date, to sleep with a 30-year-old guy with two kids, mental problems, alcoholic, drug addict, and about to get kicked out of the Navy. And then you say, oh, yeah, I was lying on the ground talking about suicide. Yes, sir. I, I believe, I, I don't know what, what's my problem right now. Well, that's what we're talking about. So, okay. Kirsten, when you, and this is for everyone who's listening to this, we are all Kirsten at one time or another. I have massive sympathy for all of this. So, if your interests aren't being served by what you're doing, the question is always, whose interests are being served by what you're doing? If it's not you, someone has to benefit from what you're doing. We don't just act randomly, right? Right, We don't just, like, run up to the top of a mountain, stand on our head, scream in ancient Aramaic, and do a cartwheel, and then go buy a car and set fire to it. Like, we don't just randomly (laughs) do things. We do things in order to fulfill either our own needs for what we want, or our own needs to please those around us, or to avoid any negative consequences to them, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so your interests clearly not being served in this relationship, right? Right, yeah, I would agree. So whose interests, who benefits from what you did? Um, The other party, as in uh, said Bob, said said other gentlemen. Well, sure, but that doesn't count because... I mean, tons of guys want to date you and sleep with you, right? This is like the world you live in, uh, given your sexual market value. So, I mean, if, if that was your standard, I mean, you, you couldn't make it to the grocery store, right? I mean, right, right. Yeah, oh, I mean, it, there's I, a guy, he looked at me with lust in his eyes. Okay, sailor, I've got my porta potty let's go for it, right? I mean, this would not be how your life would go, right? I mean, you, you couldn't right. possibly say, well... I have to serve the sexual needs of every man in the vicinity who might want a piece of me. I mean, you, 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 couldn't, you, you couldn't buy shoes with laces, right? I mean, this would not be uh, something that could be remotely sustainable. So it's not him because he, okay. he would represent a lot of guys. So who in your life benefits from you dating in this way? My parents. Right. Okay. I, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to throw anyone under the bus. See, you're defending the me. Right, so... <laughs> yes, sir. I am. The question is, what happens to if your parents do, do they have anyone strong in their life who tries to set them straight, who's honest with them, who's forthright, who talks about the issues uh, that they may have and attempts to help um, them resolve the, that kind of stuff? 
I would say it's a mixture between me and my uncle. I have a really good relationship with my uncle. He's um, like, I talk to him about everything and, and like, even after this relationship. Okay. Hang on, hang on. So you got a great relationship with your uncle. Would you say that your uncle is a good man, a wise man? Yes, sir. Yes, he's very Okay, wise. great. Fantastic. So you must have talked to him about this huge decision to lose your virginity to this alcoholic drug addict, right? No, I didn't. No, no, no. Um, you said you have a very good relationship with him. You talked to him about everything. I just felt like, I feel like a lot of times bringing up sex is like in a conversation is like indecent. I, this is this is so bad because we're talking Sleeping about it right now. Sleeping with a lunatic is not. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's a contradiction, but it okay, was something. Well, no, I had- but forget about forget about the sex stuff. I mean, I get it. Is your uncle right? I mean, I, forget about yeah, the sex stuff. What about just the dating stuff? Hey, uncle, so and so. I'm this guy. You know, he's divorced. He's got two kids. Uh, you know, I've been warned about. Uh, so, you know, this. I mean, did you talk to him about? I did. Okay. I and what did. did he What did he say? He said, um, like, I told him about his past, and and my uncle said, like, asked me how he was treating me in the relationship that was, uh, like I said, real brief. And and my uncle's like, well, as long as he treats you good, you know, he seems like a really good guy. Okay, so he's not a wise man at all. Well, I was about to say maybe I shouldn't have said he was a wise man because he's in a very unhappy marriage now that I'm thinking of it. But he stayed married to the same woman. Now that you're thinking of it, have you not thought about it before? Well, no, because he stayed married to my aunt for um, almost 50 years. So who, Kirsten, in your life has a good relationship with their spouse, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their partner? Well, Stefan, to be honest, I can only think of one couple. And they're not related to me. They're my neighbors. And I watch their kids. And they have a really, really good relationship. They're open with each other. They see he's um the the husband, he I, I watch the kids and he's he's a really good father. He's uh, he's a Marine. He's he comes home every night, you know, at a reasonable time in the afternoon. And he spends a lot of time with the kids. They're always going on places, you know, uh, going to places during the weekend and they're going away. They spend time together as a family. They uh, what they do is that, you know, he has a good relationship with his parents they, they're always there for each other, and she's a real good mother. She stayed home with the kids when they were younger. And how did she's they get just, along with your family? Oh, my family is like, it's like fire and water, like oil and water. Like, uh, they won't go near each other. They only will ever talk to me. Okay. It's, okay, so the functional family in your neighborhood doesn't, is, is in opposition to your family, right? Yeah, I mean they're polite. They have no, good no, no. Manners. I get, that. I get that. I, I you don't right, have to like, give me, you know, no, you don't have to give me all the caveats. I'm not saying that they're okay. launching howitzers at each other. I mean, I'm just that they're in opposition. They don't get along, and as you say, fire and ice, right? Or functional right, yeah. and dysfunctional, or whatever, right? Okay, right. so if you have a good relationship, if you get a great guy, if you have a functional guy, won't mm-hmm. he be in the same relationship to your family that your neighbors are? I would suppose so. Well, what do you mean you would suppose so? You just said that the most functional family around can't stand your parents, <laughs> and your parents well, can't yeah, stand yeah, them. That's, well, no, um, my um, my mother does 
like them to talk to them, but she feels embarrassed to talk to them about because of the no family. no no no. You said you said fire and ice and in opposition. Well, that's true. That's okay, true. so like don't get you know no. I'm 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 not in opposition. No, like I'm, I keep talking to your parents through you. Like you, you'll okay. listen to this, you'll hear it back. Like whenever we get the closest, oh no, I'm not saying that they're. Oh, right, she's, right. she's nice to them. They're polite to each other. No, no, no. They're not. Oppo- right. I know that they're in opposition. Functional and dysfunctional people can't get along. Okay. Yeah. Because dysfunctional people resent the functional people, and the functional people are extremely bored by the dysfunctional people because dysfunction is so repetitive. It's so boring. It's like defensive people. It's so boring. You say something that they don't like, like this emotional explosion manipulator. It's so boring. It's so predictable. There's no spontaneity or creativity among dysfunctional people because all they're doing is playing pinball off their own emotional hysteria and trying to avoid the truth as much as humanly possible. It's really boring. So functional people have very little to say to dysfunctional people. And dysfunctional people feel very self-conscious around functional people And that self-consciousness is shame slash resentment slash rage slash covered up, right? It's weird. Right, yeah. You can't just have a relaxed time talking about what's on your mind because there's all this maneuvering. Who's functional? Who's not functional? And, and, And then, of course, when the functional people leave, the dysfunctional people immediately set in like jackals on the carcass of a whale on a beach, ripping them apart. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Am I I wrong? No, you're you're absolutely right. Of course, they've got it. They feel... They've got to level up, right? They feel humiliated by the functional people. As soon as the functional people leave, they've got to tear down the functional people. To, otherwise, they have to get better themselves. It's a lot easier to tear other people down in absentia than to become a better yeah. person yourself. Yeah, it's like an inferiority complex. So this is who will suffer. This is who will lose. If you date somebody who's great. The dysfunctional people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, how do I go about that? <laughs> how do I go about, let me rephrase that. That's not specific. How do you fix enough. it? How do I go about seeking out genuinely morally virtuous individuals? Okay. A couple of things, a couple of principles here. You cannot fix dysfunctional people. That's true. Sorry. Um, I'm on a phone call. That's my dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's almost like he knows we're talking. (laughs) You cannot fix dysfunctional people. You can. Um, You can, and I say this from bitter personal experience, Kirsten, you can flush away significant years of your life trying to fix dysfunctional people. Right, they don't get. I'm, they don't I'm, become functional. You just get worse. Right. Yeah. Right. You. You don't. You don't save them from drowning. They just pull you under. So you cannot. And letting go of that is really, really important. Letting go okay. of that, you can't. You can't fix them. You couldn't fix this drug addict. You can't fix your parents. You. You cannot fix dysfunctional people. Now, That's you, true. the best way, the best thing you can do is provide an example of what functionality looks like and see if they're interested. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So. It's. Like losing weight. You can't force fat people to lose weight other than by providing them Michelle Obama's lunches or so on, right? You can't force people who are fat to lose weight. What you can do is you, if you're fat, you can lose weight yourself and you can play sports and you can climb stairs and you can do gymnastics and you can dance. And, you, and at, at some point they may say, wow, you know, you can do a lot of really cool stuff. 
But most likely what they'll do is they'll offer you a lot of fried food and <laughs> a or lot they'll of tear you. And, right? <clears throat> or they'll tear you down in the name of feminism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> all, all body types are beautiful, except for that one, that really attractive yeah, yeah. one. That's got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know it. I know it. <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? I mean, if, if uh, you can either become more attractive yourself or you can say that attractiveness is uh, immoral and dysfunctional. Uh, and then that way you lower the sexual market value of attractive women by making them feel self-conscious and apologetic. Oh, it's gross. It's, it's parasitical uh, off beauty. It's really right. gross. Anyway, <laughs> so you can't fix them. And at some point, and, you know, this is a young age to be doing it, so I just sort of plant the seed. At some point, you have to decide that your life and your future must not be dictated by the shadows of the past. You know, right. people in your life, like your parents or whatever, they've made their choices. Like your uncle who's had an unhappy marriage for 50 years. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think that's that's terrible. Right. But that's his choice. Yeah, I and mean, his, he did not No, no, up, no, I'll so. talk here. Okay, then, then, oh, then I'll shut up. All right. So your uncle has this, your parents have stayed together, although you say that your father is kind of dysfunctional or whatever. So they've made their choices. Mm-hmm. They've made their bed. They lie in their bed. Their lives are their choices. Your life is your choice. You can choose differently. You can choose differently. And if people have lived lives far below their potential, then you achieving your potential will be extraordinarily painful to them. See, here's what happens to, to a lot of people, I dare say maybe even most people, Kirsten. What happens is this. They have the choice to grow, to improve, to rise above, to not be dominated by or dictated by the past, to set their own standards, to set their own values, to grow into the kind of people they know in their heart of hearts they could be, and they feel and and tantalizingly see this will-of-the-wisp possibility of who they could be. It comes to them in fragments, it comes to them in dreams, it comes to them in odd manic motivations when they see particular things that they could achieve or, or they see noble people and the part of them is like, I want that, I want to become that. I want to leave this crap behind, this trailer park of the soul behind and I want to climb up the vines to the highest castle and cry my barbaric yorp from the rooftop of the world. There are those moments for everyone. And a lot of people feel that that is abandoning the broken tribe they grew up with And that their success, their growth, their health is a mute condemnation and causes enormous pain to those around them. Because people make these compromises. You know, they they, they see, you know, maybe um, your uncle or maybe someone like him, they see a woman who's better and they yearn for her. They see people like your neighbors, the Marine, they see things that are better and they yearn for it. And then they slip into what is familiar and they slip into what is comfortable and they slip into what is approved by all the broken people around you. And if there's one thing you never, ever want approved of in your life, Kirsten, it's decisions by the broken people around you. When the broken people are cheering, you're going down. And you're going down so soft, there's no bottom. You go down hard, you bounce. You go down soft, 
Because they won't say anything. Oh, you know, we like him. Oh, yeah, we think he's he seems like a good guy. Well, if he treats you well, that's all that matters to us. And like, it's a soft landing. The soft landing is no bottom. You know, there's an old question I used to get when I was a kid about if there's a hole drilled through the middle of the world and you jump like a hole all the way through, like putting an apple corer through an orange or an apple, I guess. If you jump in, what happens? I don't know. Well, I initially thought what what happens is you jump in and you swing down too far like a yo-yo and you bounce up and then you bounce down and then you just come to rest in the middle. But that's not actually how it works. What works physically is you jump in and you slow down as you get to the center of the earth and then you stop in the center of the earth. The reason being that as you get to the center of the earth, the gravity pulling you in gets smaller, and then there's now there's gravity above you, the miles and miles and miles of rock above you, and as now exerting gravity. So what happens is when you jump in, there's no big oscillation, there's certainly no hard bounce. You just come to rest in the center. It's like you drill a hole through your history and you jump in. Drill a hole back through time, through the generations, you jump in. You end up coming to a calm and dead rest right in the center of all that dysfunction. There's no bounce, there's no oscillation, there's no swinging back and forth. It's just, that's the soft landing. And what happens is people, they make these compromises. Ah, this is familiar. Oh, everyone approves of my girlfriend, of my fiance, of my wife. Everyone approves of how I parent. Well, if I don't spank, people are going to get mad at me. And they will. If you're around spankers and you don't spank... They're not going to feel very happy about that, especially if your kids are doing well. Ooh, bad all around. And then what happens is they say, first of all, they say this is the best. This person is the best. Everyone approves of her. She fits right in. Oh, no. I come from a dysfunctional family, and this person fits right in. My entire art gallery is horrible post-modernist Paul Clay Cubist bullshit. This picture fits right in. Well, I can tell you this. <laughs> it's not a Reuben. And then what happens is they say, this person is the best. And then when the dysfunction becomes obvious, they say, well, this is the best I can do. And then after a while, when they continue to have this soft landing into nothingness, they end up saying, this is the best that can be done. This is how they live with themselves. This is how they live with this dysfunction. Okay. They say, this is the best that can be done. All relationships are like this on the inside. All, like, I've heard, uh, have you ever seen this? Like, you go to, uh, you, I'm sure you have. You go to a restaurant and you see some couple in their 60s sitting there, you know, eating away at their surf and turf. And they don't say a word to each other for like half an hour or an hour. Have you ever seen that? I have, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. I remember seeing that as a kid, like, well, that seems like a pretty soft and silent prison to be stuck in for the rest of your natural-born life. How horrible. Right. And, you know, you just, you know one of them's wishing they could just choke to death on the shrimp and get it all over with. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Seriously. Bring me something choky. <laughs> oh, my I'd like God. a peeled grape, please, and some sideways fish bones. And All right. Um, and so... You, you, and then they, and I, I, I mentioned this once to a married couple I knew years ago, and and the woman said, "Yeah, it happens. It happens to everyone." Well, I've been married for thirteen years; it hasn't happened to me. Right? Doesn't? Oh, that's what it's all like. 
All relationships. How many times? How many times have you heard this? Relationships are work. You've got to work at your relationship. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. No, you don't. I... It should not be work. You already have a job, I hope, called doing stuff in the world. Your relationship should not be a job. Right. You should not have to work. If you have, People say you have to work at stuff because it's not working, and they don't want to admit that. And it's too late. And so they say, all relationships are dysfunctional. That's how they live with themselves. Well, my wife and I yell at each other, but all couples yell at each other. Oh, my I'm... wife cheated on me, but everyone cheats on everyone. And maybe in the circles they move, that's all true. But now you need this big Bruce Lee mirror disco chamber echo chamber, right? Where everyone has got to be dysfunctional. Otherwise, what you have is not the best that can be got. Wow. Right? And so then what happens is you are committed to keeping functional people out of your mental ecosystem. You can't have them around. Right. Have you ever seen a family of fat people with one skinny person at the table? No. No. That's right. I've been to Florida. (laughs) I I know. I am not going on an all-you-can-eat cruise ship with these people. It is not fair. I shouldn't say that. I eat a lot. But I exercise, so it's different. So there's a system that people embed themselves in, and it's a system of justification. It's a system of justification for their compromises. That's what they do. If you have a dysfunctional relationship, you cannot have functional people around. And why would functional people want to be around anyway? They know they can't fix you. That's why they're functional. One of the essence, one of the essential aspects of being a functional human being is giving up on dysfunctional people. You have to do it. I don't mean never seeing them or anything like that. I just mean giving up on the idea that you can fix them or change them or improve them. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you've done things and, and you've gotten better and they're interested, you could give them some tips. You could send them to therapy. But, you know, they can read books. They can go to the library. They can figure these things out. And Nathaniel Brandon's got uh, workbooks. John Bradshaw's got workbooks. Jordan Peterson's got workbooks. I mean, I, you know, tons of people got stuff that you could start down that journey. No one's stopping anyone. I love Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I'm um, not sure where you are. That's a huge endorsement. But we'll <laughs> we'll continue to work on that at the moment, right? <laughs> No, so, I like, I've been, I've been... No, but every, so everyone's in a system of justification, and most people are in a system of justification for their own compromises. Right, For their yeah. own cowardice, for their own loss of decades right. of happiness and joy and bliss and love, for their own being plowed under in the wet earth of history. Right. And so people are benefiting from you... I believe, from you having a bad relationship by having a series of bad relationships. Why? Because they say they go home with a newfound appreciation for their crappy spouse, right? Yes, sir. They're feeding off your future, in my humble opinion. I'm not saying they're doing it consciously. I'm not saying they're doing it out of some big org chart, lunatic, Russell (laughs) Crowe basement diagram series. I'm just saying that there is an effect that happens. If you meet a great guy and you're happy, and you're certain, and you're in love, and you're taken care of, and you're respected, and he makes you laugh, and you're excited to see him every day. What the hell are you going to have in common with people who've spent 
50 years of lockstep misery and a declining marriage? Nothing. Wow. I haven't thought about that until now. Because everyone talks about self-knowledge like it's just some personal thing. Well, you just have to learn about yourself, right? Right. No. I, no, 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 no. First no, no, you learn know, about the people. When you're young, you learn about the people around you. To hell with yourself. Right. You don't even have one yet. Right. You're, you're mostly the utility instrument of dysfunctional people around you if that's your environment. Learning about yourself, that's for later. Right. Right? Yeah, I've, I, I actually come into like um, conversation with people who are like, I'll tell them like my hopes and dreams, for example, I'll say, I've said probably a year ago, I told my aunt, I'm like, I really want to have like, or she asked me, what are my goals? And I said, I really want to have a happy marriage. And she's like, not till you're 30, you got to learn who you are. And I'm like, but I, uh, uh, what? <laughs> like, it, it's sort of just like, no, you know, you got to learn who they are. First, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My eyes have been opened. (laughs) Because I, you know, let's cast aside, and I've I've been doing this jokey demeanor too, and it's been enjoyable, but we need to, I mean, if we could stare eyeball to eyeball, that would be better. But, you know, brain to brain, heart to heart, Kirsten, this was a very dangerous moment in your life. It could have been deadly for all of your future happiness, right? Yes, sir, exactly. This guy could have been dangerous. Mm -hmm. People who are suicidal are... Mm -hmm. Desperate people. People who are alcoholics can be violent. People who are drug addicts can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And he could have given you some permanent STD. He could have gotten you pregnant, which would Mm -hmm. have either resulted in a child that would have warded off, I have a kid with a drug addict. Want to get married? No. This could have destroyed your life. Or maybe you went off and got um, an abortion. And then you meet a guy, hey, how was your last relationship? Not great. I had to have an abortion because I got knocked up by a drug addict alcoholic who was suicidal. Mm, Oh, my gosh. You understand? (laughs) You took your entire goddamn future in your hand and you dangled it off a cliff like one of Michael Jackson's babies off a balcony. For God's sakes, this could have destroyed your life. I know stuff. I know. And you, I know we're laughing and we're joking and all of that, but I right, just, right. you know, now, now is the time to stop laughing and start panicking because yeah. your environment, there are people in your life, I assume, they say they love you and they want to keep you safe and happy, and you ended up being dangled over a mm-hmm. really bottomless chasm here that could have destroyed your life. And mm-hmm. you got out by a hair, right? Because you had unprotected sex, right? Yes, sir. Right. You had unprotected sex because you were in love, right? Uh, no, it wasn't love now that I'm seeing No, no, it, but at but the time. Yes. Right? Yes. And so you had unprotected sex with an unstable guy. I did. And I assume it was somewhat around fertility time? Yes, sir. So you were damn lucky. I know. That, that those tadpoles didn't hit the Death Star, right? Yes, I, uh, so a bit short of a miracle, I would say. Yeah, the miracle is pregnancy, dodging a bullet. <laughs> well, I, the I know do- what you mean. Yeah, dodging I know what you a mean. missile, dodging a missile. This wasn't a bullet. This could have been, yeah, uh, this would substantial have been substantial damage. No, but it, listen, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm telling you, it would have destroyed your life. 
Right. It would have destroyed and any chance for getting a quality guy. Quality guys do not want to raise kids with the drug addict. Right. Hey, he's unstable. He's suicidal. He's getting out of the Navy or being kicked out of the Navy. I've got his kid. Do you feel like tying yourself to me and to him for the next 50 years? Any sane guy is going to be like, hell no. Sorry, right. you're a great lady. You seem like you've got a lot of spirit. You're very attractive. But I am not tying myself down to pouring money into this guy's kid and having him around for the next little, the next 20 years of my life. Why would he? Right. I, I don't know why. It, it's not a quality. It's it's the quality of like a, a schmuck. It's not the quality of like a, a an anchor, a person who's going to real like keep you stable and, and be be there, you know? And, oh, and I listen, feel like when I was I'm, I'm a quality guy. When I was dating, I heard kids. Right. Good luck. But right. no, thank you. Why? Why? I want to have my own kid. Right. Have you had yeah, an I STD mean, test since the relationship ended? Um, I, I've had a few tests and, and I've, I don't have anything. All right. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a so dodge to Nobody around. You are an attractive young woman with an entire extended family around you. And you basically almost got taken down by a predator here. It's yes, one sir. thing if you're alone in the woods. It's another thing if you're at a bus stop and a lion takes you down and everyone's like raising their newspapers and their iPads so they don't have to see who the hell was taking care of you. You go mental when you fall in love or when you fall in lust or when those endorphins kick in. Everyone does. Everyone does. You can't right. throw sex at people. You can't throw marriage talk at people. You've got to get to know them because the moment we start having sex and we start talking marriage, we go insane. Seriously, I'm not kidding. This is biochemical. You can look it all up. The endorphins, the happy joy juice that's going through your system makes you mental. Right. And you look at this, you look back and you say, what the hell was I thinking? You weren't thinking. Nature was saying, okay, if this is how we're making a baby, I'm bonding the living shit out of you with this guy. You are going to bond. You're going to think he's the greatest guy ever because that's the only way the babies are going to survive. I don't care what he's like, but you better bond with him because no other guy throughout history would bring you resources. For some other guy's kid, at least not in a K-selected society, maybe other places. And so you're, if you start talking this way and you start thinking this way and you start having sex, nature is gluing you to this guy. And he's, you understand? Yes, I do. And you peel that off. You ever, you ever get like the really the crazy glue and stuff on your finger and you don't like, <laughs> I mean, that's like, okay, I guess I'll hope that'll regrow. <laughs> I guess I have new right. fingerprints. Right. So. You, 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 you will bond with men, women yes. more so than men, like many times more so than men. You will bond with him. And yeah, you can pull that off. But, you know, a good portion of your heart stays behind. And the next guys in your life, they don't want a, a broken, diminished, bleeding heart. They want someone who's, who's fresh. I mean, this is not the guy you wanted to lose your virginity to, right? Um, no, sir. I, I believe that... Um I, I, I kind of want to like talk about that for a second. Um, firstly, I regret it, but then I don't regret it at the same time. And I'm going to explain, and that's not going to make sense until I explain it. And maybe I'm just lying to myself, but I feel like part of me regrets it. Cause he obviously was a genuinely screwed up individual. We've, we've uh, covered that thus far. Um, you know, and, and the, the second point is, um, I feel like if I did, if I didn't do like sleep with him, I maybe would have not learned the same moral lesson that I'm, I'm learning now. I wouldn't have 
been like, well, Kirsten, you're real fucked up now. Like I wouldn't have like thought. Oh, no, no, no. I got to take that away from you. Sorry. That's a, I mean, I understand why you have that justification. How long have you been listening to the show? Um, ever since I've got out of this relationship. Oh, so I would say a month. All right. All right. Sorry. I thought maybe if you'd known before. Okay. Um, yeah, no, no, I haven't. Like, actually, I now I, uh, another point I must stress is that after I got out of this relationship, I've been like, you know, I've been reading everything. I've been looking up, you know, psychology. You know, I've been, I found you. I found, you know, Jordan Peterson. Like I said, I found, you know, people like, uh, <laughs> you know, all of those people on YouTube that, that talk about um, relationships and uh, modern conservatism and stuff like that. And I feel like after this relationship, I had to cut out people in my life. Like fr- I had friends who were sleeping around with another guy every day. And I'm not even exaggerating about that at all. So I had to cut those people out of my life. I cut this guy out. Like I, all this stuff that happened. I, I just I feel like I'm, I went like full red pill, you know, for, okay. from. Ha- yeah. yeah. OK, that, that makes a little bit more sense. And I'm sorry that you had to have this enormous scare in order to jolt you into this. And, you know, your culture has failed you. It's not just oh, your yes, family. Sir. I mean, you're, 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 the, the movies have failed. You know, every movie you see pretty much these days, man, woman, meet. And what's the next thing? They exchange like three sentences and the next thing you know, they're in bed. <laughs> no, seriously, it is, it <laughs> no, is like I, programming I you know. to be, be our selected rabbit idiots for the, the rest of time. Uh, it, it destroys sexual market value. I mean, in the same way that, you know, the, whoever nasty satanic people are currently running Katy Perry's brain said, hey, the important thing is to cut your hair, support Hillary Clinton, and ask really dumb questions of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is math related to science? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You should watch it. And PewDiePie's got a great video on it. I mean, great as in, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Shut up and sing. Um, so I'm, I understand that something positive came out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that some people, you know, they almost crashed their car. Maybe they go take driver's ed or something. I don't know, right? But um, so you, you've been failed by your culture, by your religion, by the people around you, by, you know, the, the, this is not hard to see. You know, some people right. are more subtly camouflaged. This guy's not one of them. Right. This guy's not one of them. And, uh, you know, an 11-year difference and an experience level difference, um, you were in a position of not knowing yourself. Now, when you don't know yourself, Kirsten, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying 0% you knew yourself, and this is a very stylistic way of talking, so I hope you'll forgive me for the hyperbole, but when you're in a position of not knowing yourself, do you know what, what you end up doing? You end up doing what the most strong-willed person around you wants you to do. Does that make sense? Um, wh- what do you mean by that? Well, you said... He asked you out. He was dominant. So you conformed to him when you lack your, Mm. you know, whatever you pour water into, that's the shape the water takes, right? You pour it into a vase, it becomes the shape of a vase. You pour it into a doggy bowl, the shape of, you understand, right? Right, yeah. Because the water has no identity. The water conforms to its environment. And when you don't know yourself, what happens is you wander through life being at the mercy, like a leaf in the wind or a piece of kelp in the current, you end up being at the mercy of the strongest-willed person around you. 
It's an invitation for strong-willed or dominant people, and by that I don't mean necessarily healthy people, for strong-willed people to just tell you what's what. And this is a bit of an issue with women. Women say, oh, what do women want? It's like, well, a lot of what women want is to be sheltered and shielded and protected and taken care of so they can create a wonderful nest to grow babies. Yes. Right? And so the idea that for women, a lot of times, the quote, virtue or the biologically advantageous strategy is to obey the strongest-willed person in the environment. That's what women are programmed to do because the strongest-willed person in the environment will often be the person who gets the most resources, who elbows all the other men aside, who gets the biggest and choicest cuts of meat, who hides the rabbit in his jacket to bring it back home to his family, who's willing to go and, and poach on the king's lands, like the dominant, strong, alpha, quote, brute is the guy who's going to get your resources, which you're going to need for your kids. So for a woman to conform to the strongest personality around, particularly to the strongest man around, is very common. And again, are you listening, Europe? (laughs) This is really important (laughs) to understand. It's really important to understand. And so now that you're in the process of knowing yourself and defining your values and what you care for and what your standards are going to be, you have a way of judging other than appeasing or conforming to the strongest-willed man around. This guy was, I assume, the guy who wanted you the most, the guy who was willing to make advances the most, the guy who was willing to sweep you off your feet. Isn't this what women say? Sweep me off my feet. Well, then you can't stand on your own two feet, can you? <laughs> right. He, uh, you know that song from South Pacific that's like um, something about like she, she, he saw her standing across a crowded room or saw her laughing across, laughing across a crowded room. It was that situation. Sure. Our eyes so, met across a crowded room. That's the cliche, right? Yeah, it's exactly what what the cliche. Well, the was. Beatles. I saw her standing there, right? I saw her. Boom. All oh, right. I knew yeah. she was the one, and then they come sweeping in. You're the one, angel. Stars in your eyes, and your whole future. And of course, I mean, look at Beauty and the Beast. Look at the, all the goddamn princes who aren't, you know, used to look a lot less gay than they do now. But the princes who like they come in, it's like <laughs> sweep you off your feet. What choice does Cinderella have? He's the prince. She's poor. He comes with her shoe and she goes with him like he's tugging a little toy balloon behind him with no willpower. What does she right. do? She just, she's pretty and he's rich. Like the thing, Melania, right? So Melania Trump said, uh, was asked, would you be with Donald if he wasn't wealthy? And you know what she said? <laughs> What'd she say? Would he be with me if I wasn't beautiful? Oh, that's good. Well, you know the song, your daddy's rich and your mama's good looking, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, sorry, like, I mean, I don't know how shocked, you know, virgins are about this kind of stuff, but yes, men trade resources for female fertility. That's why we're all here. And so women lack willpower in this kind of area a lot, lack agency in this kind of area a lot, which is why they get, quote, swept off their feet. And it's the job of the men in their environment, maybe the women too, but I just speak for the men, it's all I know. It's the job of the men in their environment to keep alpha lunatics at bay. Right. Keep yeah. strong-willed crazy away from the eggs. Poke it back with a stick if you have to, but keep the charismatic nutjobs away from the eggs. 
because that's just breeding more charismatic nutjobs. Can you imagine if this guy, Kirsten, if this guy has any genetic components to his personality problems? Can you imagine what kind of kids you were going to get out of that? Uh, scary ones. Personality <laughs> is genetic. Right, yeah. So anybody with any brains, anybody with any self-knowledge has studied genetics, has studied its influence on personality, anybody with brains and self-knowledge. So he's going to look and say, oh, yeah, no, I have this kid from the drug addict. Oh, yeah. I wonder what those drugs and alcoholism did to his sperm quality. I wonder how much of that personality dysfunction is going to be transmitted genetically. Not only am I going to have the father lunatic around, but the kid could easily grow up into some kind of lunatic too, and that's my life, not even my kid. Oh, Lord. This is what I mean when I say how dangerous these weeks were. I know. And I, I, I don't know. Like I, I want to, I obviously take responsibility for I'm being trying to idiot. scare the pants back on you. No, I know. And I'm like, is there a God? There must be a God. Cause I, I mean, there, it's insane. Like it's almost like life has just slapped me in the face and I'm, and I'm incredibly grateful for what you do on your podcast. I'm incredibly grateful for the people like you that put information out there because I feel like it's changed my life. Well, I appreciate that, Kirsten, but I'll tell you this. God may have saved you once. He won't right. do it again. Exactly. The rest, you know, you, you get one freebie. You get one Samuel L. Jackson outline bullet spray around the wall. After that, you got to start dodging these bullets on your own, right? One right, mulligan. Yeah. After that, you got you to gotta put them where they sink. Yeah, and it's my, I guess it's, uh, you know, I got to buckle up, I guess, and, and, and really use my, uh, my brain, continue to learn, you know. And this is, why, but, this is why I was saying that you're driving men crazy, because there are quality men out there who are dreaming of you, guaranteed mm -hmm. you, I guarantee. They look at you, you're, you're smart, you've got a good sense of humor, and you're, um, you're pretty, and you know, you're marriage-minded, and you're conservative. There are men out there, quality men, who are dreaming of you. Right. And they see you going for this guy. And they may end up hating you. I know <laughs> men who have. You know, right. I was a great friend to this woman. We have values in common. We got along. I made her laugh. I'm a good provider. And then she went out with this guy. And she slept with this guy. Are you right. kidding me? Yeah, and I've like, for example, my uh, my mother told the story of what happened to me because um, about the whole like pregnancy scare, or whatever, to um, her friend and her and her friend's husband, who's a marine, and he, I'm not even kidding, this guy was about to like get him fired like from his current job the guy I was with because he was just like I can't believe what happened like but then I'm like well I was an idiot here and so that guy like the her husband got so You're mad. 19. You're supposed to be an idiot in a way. That's the charm of 19, right? Right, I mean, this but guy's like, 30. Yeah, but like 19 year olds can still play with fire and get burned just like most older adults. Right, and that's why it's important for the elders of the tribe to keep crazy away from the eggs and keep the eggs yeah. away from crazy. That's the that's the job. And we can we can renounce that job if we want, but then we're just you know, building another trap to the future that drags us down into totalitarianism. Because if you had gotten pregnant by this guy, you're going to mm -hmm. be a single mom, you're going to rely on the state, and you will never be able to be a credible libertarian, right? 
Right. So I was going to be a leech, but... Yeah, and, you know, we'd, we'd have some sympathy for you, for sure, and you'd have some agency in it as well, for sure, but... Um, That's not the life I want. Yeah, I heard your dad singing earlier as he passed by, and given what happened to you weeks ago, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'd be singing yet. Um, he doesn't know the full extent to it, but... Um He's, uh, he's a few sh cards short of a deck, if I may say. No, I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. Um, not like, like he's just... Because, I mean, young women like yourself have this awesome power of sexual attraction combined with, of course, massive amounts of state power, right? And mm -hmm. you need older people to help you to manage this kind of power. Right. You know, I mean, I, uh, I have a very pretty daughter and you know i'm already helping her to start to understand that she doesn't get a lot of free stuff just because she's got a great personality she does have a great personality a wonderful person to be around but there's a power in prettiness right that um it's what nietzsche says you know there are three kinds of people who never get the truth the beautiful mm -hmm. the powerful and the very wealthy because they're resources and their controls distort the reality of those around them somewhat consciously somewhat unconsciously i don't think it's true that you'll never get the truth i think hopefully we're speaking pretty frankly in this conversation but it is an awesome amount of power that young women have uh, it is the power to choose whether we have civilization or not because depending on who you end up making babies with that's whether we get a civilization or not if if the young uh, uh, women end up making babies with good men hey look we get civilization why because you have a provider you don't need a giant state you're committed to small taxes because you're not making money off the state in fact the state is making money off you so look we get civilization we get continuation of the great things that our ancestors died for we get property rights we get freedom of speech we get you know all these wonderful things it all comes down to who you let impregnate you and if you get pregnant by trashy guys by low rent guys by unreliable guys we don't get civilization it comes down you know the future is a why not a what and the why is your legs <laughs> right? exactly. whether they're open or closed and to whom that's all it comes down to these days are you going to be impregnated by good guys or bad guys And we can have all the philosophy in the world. And Lord knows I love that kind of stuff, too. We're going to talk about it more tonight with other people. But all the philosophy in the world cannot overcome the power of the V to open or close. <laughs> it can't. I've heard that. I've it heard can't. that, like, women destroy society or can turn, like, one woman can, can, one attractive woman can technically, like, cause society to go to hell or something. But Helen I, I Troy. sometimes. Helen yeah, Helena Troy. Troy I sometimes. Life. No, and I don't, I don't think it's down to one woman, but it comes down to women like yourself. This is why I'm spending a lot of time in this conversation, and I want you to have a great and happy and wonderful life with a great guy. And if you want to be married and you want to be mom, which sounds great, sounds wonderful, and I'd highly, highly recommend it. Right. But it is a bigger issue than just you, which is why it's so powerful to talk about this kind of stuff and why I really, really appreciate you. This is why you're on the show and why I really, really appreciate you being so frank and honest uh, about what happened is that right. if, if women can't find a way to restrain themselves and it's going to have to come from within because the, the government has taken away all the cues that otherwise would have um, given you 
better feedback to make better decisions. The, all of that has been numbed, right? And right, yeah. So if, if women do not find any way to restrain their darker sexual impulses, you know, women in general, women statistically, come on, you all love a bit of rough trade, right? Yeah, you, you know love what? The bad Honest- boys. <laughs> Yeah, we like them. <laughs> you like it's them a little good. stubbly, a little rough, maybe smelling a little bit of cigars and whiskey. Um, you oh, you like it a little rough? I mean, I, re- I remember there's one woman, oh, David Beckham, oh, those tattoos. That he's like, come on. So yeah. women like a little bit of rough trade. And that's, again, we know we know that women, women are most fertile. They tend to prefer the most rough looking men. And then when they're not most fertile, they tend to find slightly more docile-looking men attractive. I'm not talking men who look like the ass end of a Brahmin cow, but, you know, not quite as chisel-jawed and stubbly and all that kind of stuff. And so if women can't find right. a way to to aim the V at, at good guys, I mean, it doesn't matter what people like me or Mike Cernovich or Paul Joseph Watson or Bill Whittle or, like, all the other... It doesn't matter what we do. Right. You know, I mean, uh, Charles Johnson can do all the wonderful things that he does behind the scenes. Man, that guy's a power behind the throne. They can do all these wonderful things. It doesn't matter. You guys point the V at bad boys. doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like we can bail all we want. But if women are drilling holes in the bottom of the ship in a very bad analogy, and then, you know, the, the, the water's coming in faster than the thinkers can bail it out. If the salty stuff goes in the wrong holes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If that happens, we're doomed. And it doesn't matter what the words are. That's a fitting reference, <laughs> real fitting reference. I would say, um, yeah, no, I get you. And I feel like I, I don't want to complain about society leading me the wrong way because I'm in charge of my own. No, but you should. You you are not. Right. But I had a friend who's just like, why haven't you slept with so many guys in the past week? And I'm like, uh, what? I'm sorry. Do we speak the same language? Like it's, I say this in a joking manner. And like I said, you said earlier in the conversation, how you can't change dysfunctional people. And what I was trying to do, like five minutes before I met this guy, I'm not even joking. I was trying to change my friend and make her a virtuous individual and show her the way, show her that sleeping with a lot of guys is not going to lead her to happiness. And what did she do? She keeps pregnancy scare after pregnancy scare after pregnancy scare and sleeping with guys when she's 17 and lying about her age. I mean, Ooh. I, I dropped her like a hot rock, but Well, yes, and, and she's become unmarriable. Because this knowledge right. is getting out there. Listen, um I, I've done pr- entire presentations on this truth about sex, truth about single motherhood and so on, and you may have heard that oh, yeah. you may have not. But you I know have. that I mean now this w- th- this information has been suppressed. Mm-hmm. That a woman who's been drilled a lot, it's kinda like trying to use a colander for a soup bowl. <laughs> <laughs> only going to work for a very short amount of time and you can end up with a very wet lap and a burning sensation on your lap. Hey, that actually really worked as an analogy. Anyway, um, <laughs> but women who've had a lot of sexual partners, you're not marriable. You're not, like, there's there's um, uh, an old play that had a huge influence on me um, by Tennessee Williams, A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, yeah. And in it, Blanche Dubois... I, you know, I'm comfortable giving spoilers for stuff that's more than half a century old. But in it, Blanche Dubois is this, like, hysterical caricature of a gay man masquerading as a southern woman. Because, you know, it was a gay guy who wrote the play. But um, <laughs> she sleeps with everything and everyone. 
And she says, oh, yeah. it's to fight the death instinct. It's like, it's all this kind of arty farty shit. I mean, it's like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're fighting the death instinct. That's right. Just like all the rabbits do. We're just fighting the death instinct. It's like, no, you're horny. I get it. All right. But, um, and then she's got this bit where she says, you know, I, I, I just, I, I can't eat an unwashed grape lotte. Like, you know, this is like fainting couch purism stuff, right? <laughs> and she's hiding her past. She's hiding her past. And she's trying to basically con a guy into marrying her. And she's hiding oh that God. she's an alcoholic. She's hiding that she's insane. She's hiding that she's hysterical. And she's hiding that she's been a multi-decade slut who's had more traffic than the channel. And oh Lord. then eventually the, the, the husband of her sister goes to the guy she's trying to get to marry him and, and, and tells him the truth. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets really angry and he comes over and he wants to have sex with her. And she's like, Lord, no. <laughs> and she's like, what, just me? You had sex with just about everyone else south of Mason-Dixon and you're not having sex with me. gets really angry, right? Because she's mm-hmm. been playing the virgin and the non-drinker and the non-crazy woman for him for so long, right? And um, it is uh, powerful when he says, I'm not going to marry you now that I know the truth. And she says, well, why not? And he says, because you're not clean enough to bring into the house with my mother. Oh. And she goes mental, right? She just physically attacks him. Right, and, yeah, and yeah. This knowledge of how a lot of sexual partners wake, makes women unmarriable, this used to be known. This used to be common knowledge. You know, we, we look at the past and we think, oh, those Victorians, how ridiculous they were. You know, like we think they think the world was flat or something like that. Or, you know, they, did, they didn't know anything about antibiotics. They didn't have any cell phones. How ignorant. Oh, no, no. They knew. They knew a lot about human nature, male nature, female nature, the government. They knew. They built a whole civilization that we can't even remotely sustain. And we sort of looked down at them like, oh, primitive. No, they were repressed. 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 By God, have you seen movies these days? A little bit of repression would be a really, really wonderful thing. Have you seen Disney stars right. these days after they seem to turn about 18 in one second? Woo! Off, off goes the bra, out come the tits, and everyone is like, oh, that's my childhood that's there on a wrecking ball. I can't watch it anymore. Please, a little restraint would be a wonderful thing. But right. um, um, this knowledge yeah. is getting out there, and now the women who sleep around, the knowledge is mm-hmm. out there. Me, other people... Millions of views, millions of downloads. Over. People know this stuff now. And so now, when a man who's had any exposure to this show in any appreciable amount goes to a woman and, and hears that she's been loose, you know, she's paid, played pretty fast and loose on the field and so on, he might want to sleep with her, but he's not going to marry her because that's just putting a gun to your head. Because she is going to divorce your ass and she's going to be crazy and she's going to be unstable and she's going to be a bad mom and she's going to take you to family court and she is going to destroy your life. She might even end your life because you might get jailed for non-support of alimony and child support. You go to jail. Maybe you get killed in jail. I don't know. Oh, Lord. So the, the this knowledge has been suppressed for since the 60s. Don't mm-hmm. slut shame. It's like... I don't care about slut-shaming. I care about statistics. And women who've slept with a lot of guys will divorce you almost for sure. And it's not like all the women, like the the, the 15% or so who won't divorce you, it's not like you have a great marriage anyway. (laughs) I mean, you may pray for divorce. You you may pray to be at one of those dinner tables and swallow the 
piece of unpeeled shrimp and have it lodge in your esophagus and choke your way into a happier place. I don't know. But now the knowledge is out there. So these, I mean, I'm sorry. Like I feel I'm angry at your friends who sleep around or your ex-friends who sleep around. But I also feel very sorry for them because they've been lied to and men have been lied to. As if women can just do this with no repercussions, like we never evolved as a species based on sexual restraint. Civilization itself is sexual restraint. Nothing more, nothing less. Everything else is window dressing. Right. I mean, yeah, like I, I completely agree with you. And I, I remember like earlier in the conversation, we were talking about how like fire and water, how like dysfunctional people repel functional people. And I've sort of, as soon as I've sort of like changed, not my personality, but I've been more like stronger in my values. I've been called like puritanical, like people will not talk to me anymore. And I'm like, why? Like I have better relationships with better people, but the people I used to talk to that are deemed normal in society won't talk to me. And another thing I've been reading is I think you and Lauren Southern did like a um, presentation or one of your um, videos about like um, statistics and how women with less sexual partners are more likely to have like better marriages. Yeah. She's done a great presentation on that. Yeah. I think you talked about it or uh, touched on it too, but um, I was just wondering, do you think I, um, I have. A, do you think I have a chance at having a good marriage, or yeah, do you oh, think yeah, I'm absolutely. just? You've only slept with one guy. Yeah, I just, I just feel kind of bad. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not here to talk <laughs> you out of that. I think that's good. You know. No, no, no. I just feel like I feel like uh, this is just. I know. I'm. I don't mean to be like you know. Uh, uh, what's the word? Just I don't mean to be whining right now, but I just feel like damn. I sort of screwed up my entire life no no i wouldn't i wouldn't put it that way at all i wouldn't put it that way at all you had what i would consider an enormous wake-up call oh yes sir definitely right yeah yeah and and like there are people in my life on on the dysfunctional side that will have wake-up calls where they'll be in life and death situations and they'll just ignore them and so to me, I think a lot of times those people have just been like, oh, that's normal. Like, yeah, that happens. Like that, ha- that happens. Yeah, like, I you, don't you, you had a wake up call and I think you are using it in the best possible way. And it could have been a whole lot worse. And I think your life, as you, I, I was skeptical when you said earlier, there's a positive thing to it. But I think, I think you made a great case and I can completely understand that your life is going to be better as a result of this because it has been... Uh, I mean, that was a hell of a close call. And it is the kind of thing, you know, the heart attack that scares you into exercising and eating well. You know, you could end up living a lot longer than if you'd never had the heart attack. So I think that you could still make a wonderful wife and mom, more so now than ever. And you've made better decisions than your friends. You made one crazy decision here that's turned a, a light on in your whole social environment, your culture, your your family, uh, your education, the art that, that is around you, the music that is around you that is constant, like pump and grind bullshit designed to spread STDs. Like uh, the music uh. industry is like the typhoid Mary of the rising pregnancy <laughs> and STD scares that, that go on among the young. And uh, this idea that you can simply indulge the flesh at no cost to your soul for want of a better word, is uh, something that uh, is um, has been illuminated within you, and now you, through this call, has helping to illuminate hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of other people, and um, you can still be a wonderful mother, a wonderful wife, a, a great friend, 
And uh, you can look at this as that which propels you towards the light from a recoil. Sometimes, sometimes we head towards the light because we love the light. Other times we head towards the light because we fear the darkness. Either way, mm-hmm. whatever gets you to the light is a good thing. Yes, sir. And I, I, I like, I've been getting more involved with like, you know, politically, like I, I've been reading and, and I'm planning on maybe publishing, you know, to YouTube, my thoughts on modern day feminism and my problem with it. And I've been reading and researching and listening to you and listening to people like Lauren Southern and uh, Jordan Peterson and, you know, all the rebel media people, you know, people like that, that are skeptics. Um, and I sort of felt like all of these little puzzle pieces, I, I used to listen to these people, but I never really got it. Listen, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's only one person you need to listen to. It's not me, just so you know. <laughs> it's not even you. Who is it? It's Elvis. <laughs> Are you what? ready? I have yeah, no voice tonight, but I'm going to do it anyway. Are you ready? <laughs> Okay. You don't like crazy music. You don't like rock and bands. You just want to go to a movie show and sit there holding hands. You so square, baby, I don't care. <laughs> you don't like hot rod racing or driving late at night. You just want to park where it's nice and dark. You just want to hold me tight. You so square, baby, I don't care. <laughs> you don't know any dance steps that are new. No one else <laughs> could love me like you do, 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 do. I don't know why my heart flips i only know it does i wonder why i love you baby i guess it's just because you're so square baby i don't care be square be square you know just be square listen to elvis he's got it all all you need to know is in the church of p I do. I listen to like fifties music. I listen to country. I listen to like the Everly brothers and I get called puritanical and grandma and all that crap. Yeah. No, I like that. You know, this, this guy is like, you know, so you want to be affectionate. You don't care about hot rod racing and and crazy music. And it's great. You know, I mean, that's BB square, you know, square is the like, it's the foundation where we actually put civilization and build it. So square is good. Conservatism is the new counterculture. I will steal that oh, line yeah. from Paul. Paul, Paul Joseph Watson. Yeah, <laughs> I lo- I love them. Infowars. Uh, yeah, no, I I I was square, and then I had a I started hanging out with bad people, and uh, I because I used to get like made fun of for being like stuck up, and people were like, "You're you know you're prudish, you're puritanical, you're you're like a you're gonna." you're going to get mad at me for doing what I want to do. Like, you know, obviously the whole modern feminism brainwashing women and believing they can just throw their, um, you know, throw sex any, any which way and see if if it sticks. And and they just tell women they can be sluts. They tell men to stop being men. They tell, but, and so I'm, and it's, it's sort of like a huge rebellion now of mine. Like I'm just rebelling against, rebelling against everyone I know in my life I'm going my own way. And people are like, what the hell? Like, what is going on with you? So, And here's my last piece of advice. This is really, really well put. My last piece of advice is this. People have been using their penises and vaginas to choose their partners. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, but you have to go deeper. (laughs) It's not your vagina that should choose your lover. It's your eggs. You pick your future boyfriend in consultation with your future children. Mm -hmm. Not your vagina, but your eggs. 
it's not your penis, but your balls who should choose your sex partner, right? <laughs> it's the sperm, not the ejaculate, so to speak. And and when you have that perspective, not is this person hot, you know, which is your vagina talking or whatever, but is this person going to be a good dad? Is he going to be a good provider? Is this person going to be a good mom? Are they going to be a good friend? Are they going to be a great partner? You let your kids, your future kids, choose your partner. Now, if you don't want kids, you're too old, whatever, then just let your values choose. But when we, it's not like we, when we don't have sexual restraint, when we don't tie sexuality to morality, mm-hmm. it's not like we then end up not making decisions. We just end up making bad decisions. We don't become free by not tying sexuality to values. We mm-hmm. end up being enslaved, enslaved to the flesh, enslaved to penicillin, <laughs> enslaved to the welfare <laughs> state, enslaved to whatever, enslaved to right. a, a woman through the family court system and it's not freedom to let go of discipline. Letting go of discipline is slavery. The way that we retain freedom is through discipline and self-restraint. Right. All right. Yeah. I got to move on. We got a big 12,000 more callers, but uh, useful call, helpful, positive. Oh, very useful. Thank you. I, I don't even know how I can thank you other than me going and living a good life using your advice, but I, I thoroughly appreciate what you do for our world. I feel like you you and, and, and the people that are going against the establishment are, are going to change our world into something more positive. So, Well, thank you. Just send me some pictures of your happy kids. And uh, I really appreciate <laughs> yes, your, your time tonight, Kristen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Stefan. All right. Up next, we have Mark. Mark wrote in and said, on this 150th Canadian anniversary, I asked myself the following question. What is Canada? It may be because I am from Quebec, but I am unable to provide an answer. I concluded that Canada is, in essence, legal fiction. It seems to me to be a country that exists on paper, but lacks any true identifiable culture or people that unmistakingly separates it from the rest of the Western world. As nationalism is currently gaining strength throughout the world, how will this impact Canada? Will we lead our country gaining some sort of identity of its own? Or will it lead to a splintering as regional identities take precedence? What will be the result of Canada's status as, quote, first post-national state, end quote, as the world goes through what will most likely be a major geopolitical shakeup in the coming decades? That's from Mark. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Stefan, how are you? I'm well. Now, Quebec, of course, has had the strongest identity and and sense of values i think um of of canada as a whole partly of course of being a minority in in the country would you say that's fair uh, i would say that's perfectly fair however in the last probably 15 years what i can tell you is i felt like this sense of national identity is slowly dying slowly dying off sure i think the independentist movement was pretty much a generational project and since the boomers are starting to pretty much die off, the project is dying off with them. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, do you remember the year of the last referendum? I do, actually. Uh, Yeah, I was fairly young when uh, the last referendum happened, but what I can remember is that there was a lot of uh, acrimony on both sides. Essentially, uh, the the ones that wanted to do their own country were basically accusing uh, the ones who wanted to remain in Canada as being sellouts. 
the artists were pretty much all in. Uh, the artistic side was all in on independence. The business side was obviously fairly uh, partial to remaining in Canada. And there was, well, it was later revealed to have been a fair amount of uh, dirty tricks being used under the radar by the federal government. So what I think I remember most vividly is uh, Jacques Parizeau, who was the uh, Parti Québécois, uh, no, the Bloc Québécois chief at that time. 95. That's it. Who came out and uh, while fairly drunk, outright stated, tonight we lost because of money and the ethnic vote. Yep. I I remember watching that very vividly. I was, um, let's see, I was in Montreal at the time. I, I spent four years living in Montreal. And I remember watching it on TV with with great ambivalence. So I'll sort of get to my uh, thoughts in a sec. But but please come on. Well, I think that was a pretty uh, important moment, a pretty important moment for the independent movement because from that point forward, there was the great pain in trying to uh, be more uh, inclusive and diversity oriented, and that seemed to have completely killed the entire momentum of the sovereignist movement sure. more than anything else. Because quite frankly, it was a uh, movement that was pretty much done for white French Canadians and trying to include other people into it only served to dilute it. And I think it never came back from that. And it was really close. It was. I think it was less than a percent. Uh, 49.42 to 50.58. 49.42 to uh, yes. And um, yeah, 50.58 to to no. Uh, It was... Yeah, a margin of less than 60,000 people out of uh, 4.7 million. That's it. And frankly, once again, it might be because I'm from Quebec, but I can feel that in the last 15 years, even that sense of identity just started crumbling. Uh, Maybe it's because of added uh, diversity and more multiculturalism. But I can see that there's a difference. Come on. I mean, we all say diversity, but it means non-whites. Let's be That's frank it. about that. I mean, no, nobody says, oh, we're bringing a lot of pe- people, white people from Belgium, that adds to our diversity. Or we're bringing in a lot of people from Poland that adds. It always and forever means non-whites. That's what diversity means. And this is, you know, I'm not trying to do anything other than be very frank about what the word actually means. Uh, Europe is very oh, diverse. No. Europe is enormous. Look, look at how women are dressed across Europe versus how women are dressed across the Middle East. Europe is incredibly diverse. Different languages, different cultures, different religions, different histories, different dress, different music, different dances, different everything. Europe is incredibly diverse. And what does everyone say? Europe needs diversity. Well, what does that mean? It means Europe needs non-whites. That's all it means. Diversity means non-whites in general displacing whites. I mean, I just, I don't mean to be shocking if, if you've not heard this before, but let's be frank about what it means. Oh, no, I totally agree. Plus, I actually lived in one of uh, Montreal's most ethnic uh, neighborhoods for quite a while, uh, Ville Saint-Laurent. And frankly, what I saw was that these people simply were not Canadians. Their values were very, very different from ours. And they didn't really make any kind of effort in assimilating in the sense that they always lived in their little ghettos and in their little neighborhoods where they would all congregate uh, with more or less the same ethnic identities. And they weren't really interested in going outside. So from a nation-building perspective, it's a complete failure because there's no general identity. Sure. Well, when a country is starting, particularly the countries in the new world, 
you are getting the most entrepreneurial and ambitious or desperate, whether those are the same things or not is, is a question for another time. But you're getting the the smartest, most ambitious, most desperate people who are all white coming to your country. And so there's a certain amount of just values. Like if you have an entrepreneurs conference, then you're going to get a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and they're going to have similar values, i.e. they like being entrepreneurs, they don't want to work for other people. And so there was a kind of self-selection that was going on. And it was very explicit in America in particular, very explicit. They said, we only want white people and we're not even sure about those Catholics. And those Germans, I don't know, like we want Protestant people from England, hopefully, (laughs) you know, white Protestant people from England. That's how America was founded and that's what they wanted. And of course, you had to be a rich well, at least a decent landowner uh, to participate in government with the basic idea being that how can a, how can you vote objectively about property unless you actually have some property, right? That sort of makes sense, right? <laughs> like I'm told I can't have an opinion on, on women's birth control because I don't have a vagina. Um, and somehow, uh, but somehow people who don't have property can vote objectively about property. So, so when, you, when you're starting out, you don't really think about your values because – Everyone's values are the same. No one's coming from the welfare state. Why? No welfare state, right? Uh, everybody's Christian who comes because, you know, it's the 16th, 17th, 18th century, and everyone's Christian to begin with. And so, it, was, it was actually a point of contention at the start of the Confederacy because Johnny MacDonald actually uh, refused to give Asian people voting rights explicitly to defend the uh, Canadian identity and the Aryan character of the nation, as he called it. So that was actually uh, – a concern they had way back in the uh, late 19th century. Sure. Well, mid-19th century. A friend of mine came back from Jamaica not too long ago and said he had a long conversation with his Jamaican uh, a Jamaican guy. And the Jamaican guy was railing against the Chinese. You know, <laughs> the Chinese come – I'm not going to try and do the accent. I don't Elvis. I got to Jamaica and say, but they, you know, the, the 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 Chinese they come to Jamaica and they bought this up and they bought that up and we need to find a way to keep them out. They're taking over the island. We've got to stand together. He said to my friend from Canada who was in Jamaica on vacation, and it's like, that's interesting. So he can say that we want to keep Jamaican black. We want to keep Jamaica. Uh, we want to keep Jamaica ethnically the same. And Jamaica is like what ninety seven percent black or whatever, right? And we got to keep those mm-hmm. Chinese out. And I've yet to see one single mainstream media outlet – well, first of all, I've yet to see one mainstream media outlet say anything about the incredible decision that CNN made to threaten someone <laughs> with doxing for exercising that the First Amendment That is completely rights. baffling. Have you Seriously. seen anything about – I checked out the Canadian media a little bit here and there. Now there's a, a, a rather interesting series of pictures about some mom who – whose son wanted to dress up as a drag queen and and she posted pictures of him in full makeup. Yeah, that's never going to come back to haunt him. It's like these women have no idea what it's like to be a guy. Anyway, but um, uh, so nothing in the Canadian media about this incredible stuff going on with Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, and all this stuff going on with the with the doxing threats and all of that. I mean, nothing in the Canadian media. I mean, this is like, it's absolutely totalitarian. And then they wonder why they need uh, state assistance in order to stay competitive. Because, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just... actually offering information as an information outlet, that would never be good for their market share. If you listen to the CBC, you're like in a completely different universe from, well, from reality. But yeah, this. nobody's writing there and saying, I can't believe how racist those Jamaicans are against the Chinese. I can't believe that these Jamaicans want to keep Jamaica ethnically pure, you know, <laughs> because see – they're not white, so they can have in-group preference. They're not white, so they can have pride in their ethnicity and culture. 
because no nobody wants a bunch of stuff from Jamaicans, so you know you don't have to yeah. hit them with the um, supremacist label every time they even think about having an in-group preference. But anyway, so when when you start out, you don't need to think about your values because your values are handled by the circumstance of the country, by how difficult it is to get there, by what kind of people want to come there, and by an immigration policy that's fairly specific to, to those true. kind of people. Who wants to come and work uh, on, a, uh, uh, on a farm in the middle of Saskatchewan, or not even work on a farm, come to a wilderness in the middle of Saskatchewan and carve out 40 acres with their bare hands and, you know, half a blunt axe. I mean, it's horrendous, right? Anyone who's, you know, I've done, because I was, you know, gold panner and prospector and claim staker and all of that up north after high school for quite a while. If you've not worked in the wilderness, you just don't understand what kind of people come to a new land. So this um, value, Canadian values were formed by the people who came here, by the environment, by the kind of people who came here, by the ethnicity, by the religion, by the culture, and by the necessity for hard work. And when I came to Canada first, 1977, we couldn't afford to fly to Toronto. We flew Freddie Laker. We flew from London to New York, and then we took a bus up to Toronto. And I actually lived in Whitby for the first couple of months. And I was put in grade eight and I came to Toronto. I was put back in grade six. So a big mess. Anyway, but um, when I first came to Canada, I remember being both impressed and alarmed at how earthy and tough-minded Canadians were. You know, Canadians got this reputation of being nice, um, but they're only nice because everyone's ferocious in Canada. Like you step out of line, it's pretty pissed off. You don't work. You don't, you know, like the Amish, you don't show up to <laughs> help people build the barn, you're, you're never going to get invited anywhere for the next 20 years, right? So I remember being enormously, you know, impressed at the earthiness and and the somewhat ferocity and and the, the manliness. Canadian men back in the day, this is before the true rot of the 70s had set in and, and certainly before all of the, you know, I don't know, fairly metrosexual infection of the 80s kicked in. But well, we can call it what it is. That was before uh, Trudeau's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, certainly before the ferret-faced Marxist got into power for so long, that was uh, that was kind of different. And yeah, he definitely uh, effetted things up quite a bit. But man, like, and it had its plus side and its minus side, right? And I remember very clearly, very clearly the first day I went to school in Toronto, you know, I, I had the accent, you know, and, and I've always had a bit of a fruity accent because I went to boarding school for a while and, and I don't have Tommy Robinson's accent. Uh, and and that's a whole other story about class and accent and, and all of that in uh, uh, in England. But so I had, you know, the fruity English bastard accent and all of that. But I was, you know, witty and, and charismatic and, and, you know, I guess fairly good looking as a kid and, and all of that. So I was able to get along fairly well with people, and I only had one sort of very brief bullying incident. But um, I remember the first day I was in a, a, a Canadian school, a Toronto school at, at Whitby. The boys were like, hey, new guy, come on outside. And I'm like, oh, what fun. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was winter, and 1977 was an incredible winter in Canada, like I thought this was just Canadian winter, but it was an extraordinary winter for snow in Canada. Like it snowed every day. You know, it's the kind of thing like you go to the mall and like you can't see half the sky because they've plowed so much of the snow from the mall parking lot into these Himalayan series that are unbelievably fun when you're uh, an 11-year-old in snow pants. But um, I remember they said, coming out, new kid. 
And uh, I go on out and it's like, I, what, what are we going to play? <laughs> like, we're going to punch the girls in the groin. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we get what? 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 <laughs> and, and come on. And, you know, I ran and I couldn't. I mean, I just, I never could. Right. But it was like, yeah, they would, they would grab the girls and the girls would be laughing and they would try and punch the girls in the groin. And this was the game. And I'm like, I guess I'm not in boarding school. In boarding school, we were segregated by gender, right? So we barely got to see the girls at all. But uh, I just remember thinking like, wow, I am not in Kansas anymore. This is a pretty rough and tough uh, environment. And, uh, you know, we would go to um, winter camps and uh, there would be like, the kids would be like, I can't wait to go camping in winter. (laughs) And it's like, and there was a choice. Like you could go or you could not go. And uh, I still have no, I ended up camping a lot inadvertently, so to speak, when I was doing the aforementioned gold panning and all that. But I remember be like, hey, new guy. Well, I wasn't the new guy, Ben. Hey, Steph, why don't we all, why, let's all go camping. It's January. <laughs> and it's like, I would rather chew my own legs off, you know, with a nail <laughs> file. And so I stayed back with all the kids who had allergies and asthma. You know, we played cards and it was great. But um, I remember um, at this place, this was my first introduction to giant tubing, you know, where Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you jump on this giant tube, and I always seem to have the worst luck in the world. Like, every time I go camping, I end up with a tree up my ass, like a tree, you know, the, the root just sticks up, so I can't get a comfortable spot. And there's always one damn mosquito. You you get all the mosquitoes. Always, it's like a whole night you can't sleep. But in this one, so for those who don't know, it's these giant tractor tires. You inflate them, like way overinflate them. Everybody piles on. You go thundering down the side of a mountain, and you end up crashing into a parking lot. It's great fun. And uh, But I was there's always one like this, that little tube that sticks out where you fill up the air. And I always remember that would always go into my ribs or my butt or something like that. And I'd be going down like, oh, one more bump and I'm going to end up with a sword wound. But um, so there was, there was, there was tough enough. And Canadians very, very strong on freedom of speech. That's not going on right now, right? There's been sort of the one, two Middle East punch to freedom of speech in Canada. I mean, the Jews got mad because there were apparently Holocaust deniers and they passed laws about that. And that's been used as a thin edge of the wedge to um, to be, continue to erode free speech uh, in Canada. But it was very strong when I was younger. I never had any uh, sense that, that there were things that, that you couldn't uh, talk about, never really had any of that sort of issue. So it does, you know, when everyone's similar and, and everyone's coming for the same reasons and so on, then you don't need to worry about the values of your you know, of your country. Like, if you're on a hockey team, you, you, you everyone's going to be of different levels of ability, but you don't worry whether anyone likes hockey or doesn't. Like, they're all on the team. You assume that they're there because they like hockey. And it's the same thing with a country. But then when you start to, you get a welfare state, then you immediately start to get multiculturalism as people want to come and get the welfare state and other reasons as well. And um, the first generation of immigrants from non-European cultures a lot of them come for the values and for the freedom, but there's that regression to the mean, and and now there's the internet. The internet has made immigration a lot more complicated than it used to be. Um, like a friend of mine, uh, when I was a kid, his parents were Italian, and there were no Italian television stations. I don't think there was even an Italian radio station. Maybe just some real local one in the, in the sort of out of the back of a van. But um, and and you had to wait like two weeks to get an Italian newspaper, and so because there was no internet, you really did get detached from your host culture. And if you wanted to follow the news, you had to learn English. And if you wanted to follow, you know, politics, then you had to follow the news, and you had to. And then you would get kind of Canadian values through that mechanism. But now that there's the internet, 
I mean, why do you think that the the migrants uh, and the people who go to Europe get go so insane if their laptops don't work or their their tablets don't work or if the Wi-Fi is down or whatever? Because now you can bring pretty much your whole culture with you. You can get all the news. You can get all the stuff in your own language. Because there's the internet now, uh, and also because long-distance phone calls are basically free through the internet, through Skype and stuff, there is the welfare state and, and all of that, the refugee money that flows to these people. But because of the internet, the opportunities for integration and the motives for integration are virtually non-existent. And this is why, you know, all of this diversity, you know, as a value was proposed long before the internet came along. And you could at least make the case that to survive, if you were smart to survive in your host country, you'd learn the values, you'd learn the language, and you'd get along with the host culture. But now with the internet, people bring, it's not just the fragmentation and the balkanization within each community. It's the fact that they have all of the access to to culture and language and, and everything, news and everything in their own language. Okay, so what's really the point of attempting uh, to to adapt? I mean, the, the motive has virtually ceased to uh, to exist. So uh, that, I think, has made things. Canada didn't need to think about values for a long time. They were just naturally part of the whole Canadian experiment. And now, by the time the issue is coming up, um, the answer generally seems to be Canada has no values in particular, because, you know, whatever values you have are going to offend someone. And so we have this boring end of civilization tolerance and apathy and diversity stuff, which is uh, nothing but appeasement. Yeah, plus earlier in the discussion, you mentioned something that I found was pretty poignant to the Canadian experiment, if we can call it that. It was that uh, countries are a result of their, of their circumstances. And I feel like the basis for Canada's obsession with multiculturalism goes back to the fact that when it just started out, when it was still upper and lower Canada, it was basically two cultures forced to cohabit together. And from their point on, multiculturalism was just always a part of the Canadian experiment. It just now grew to to basically cancerous proportions. Well, of course, there was the great collapse of religious faith in the 60s in Quebec. And you probably know way more about this than I do. I'll just touch on it briefly and let you take it from there, just for those who don't know. So, <laughs> I mean, Quebec was like insanely religious. And I say this as a new friend of Christianity, but I mean, it was seriously religious. And like within the space of five years, like women went from having like 12 babies to like one. And there are, at least there was when I lived in, in Montreal, there were like, there were subway stations named for known virulent Catholic anti-Semites. And nobody had any particular issue with that. But there was this, the quiet revolution where religious faith, like within the space of half a decade, I mean, you, again, you know it better, it just vanished completely. And then what happened was there was, in my opinion, there was this giant value vacuum and inrushed socialism. And then because there was a succession of Quebecois politicians who were very prominent, uh, socialism, which rushed into communism, sometimes rushed into the vacuum left by the fall of faith in Catholicism, that then spread through Canadian politics to make it become more socialistic. And in Canada in the 1960s, you, of course, had socialized medicine, the foundation of the modern welfare state, and all of the kind of stuff that went on, which was resisted by the church. The church, of course, resisted the welfare state because it weakened the family and, and uh, took away the negative consequences for out-of-wedlock births and so on. And so, yeah, you, you, you um, religious faith ends, communism and socialism rushes in to Canada through the gaping hole of religious faith, through which poor 
leftist politicians out, uh, coming out of uh, Quebec. And of course, as we talked about with um, uh, uh, Ezra Levant recently, I mean, Pierre Trudeau, uh, the current uh, <laughs> the current uh, the current prime minister's quote father, uh, he was an out and out uh, Marxist in his youth, and because he was responsible for getting the constitution back from or the Bill of Rights back from the uh, the British, um, and had a huge influence on how it went, uh, things just got a lot softer and goopier. And by the time you have to start defining all of your rights and all of that, rather than having it part of, part of the culture, that's the time when they first start to die. I think. Yeah, uh, I can definitely. Uh talk a little bit more about the death of uh, of the Catholic Church here in Quebec. Yes, yeah, listen, and take your time. I mean, I, I find this fascinating stuff, so oh, yeah, I don't feel sure. like any rush at all. Now, uh, I do love history, but I'm not the best uh, person in the world about Canadian history, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. But basically, uh, for most of the 40s and 50s, especially the 50s, the uh, provincial, uh, the politics of the province were dominated by a party called Union Nationale, the National Union who was owned by Maurice Duplessis. He, he had basically a, an obvious alliance with the clergy, with the Catholic clergy that was local in Quebec, to the point where the clergy would always tell their uh, the churchgoers, well, remember, the heaven is blue and hell is red. And the <laughs> National Union's color was blue and the Liberal Party's color was red. So it was very obvious what was going on. And they did abuse a little bit their uh, position in society, especially in regards to uh, some of the schools. Uh, some of the, there was a lot of school scandals. Wait, sorry, do you mean the, the clergy here? Yes, the clergy hmm. here. Uh, Duplessis, for his part, there was a lot of talk that he abused his position, but then again, we get that information from the very leftist local media. And at the same time, the abuse that they're uh, always saying that he went too far was in fighting communism, such as uh, <laughs> La Duetskadena, no, well, this is Which the same was, stuff you hear about Salvatore Allende uh, uh, in um, – yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. That's it. And it was always anti-union yeah. and everything like that. And, of course, the left is very pro-union. And what happened is that I think in 59 or in 60, uh, Duplessis died. And at that point, the uh, National Union was basically a one-man party. So when he died, his entire party crumbled and the Liberal Party took over from the vacuum. And when that happened there, see, the Catholic Church lost a lot of power because they had invested a lot of their influence into uh, the political games of the National Union, which is one of the reasons I think religion should stay so far away from politics. Because once you start getting embroiled into the temporal powers, of course, at one point, you're going to be on the wrong side. And then, I mean, you're just going to get fucked by the whole situation. Well, but the, to, to the counterpoint would be that... Once, once religious values leave politics, you get this leftist blasé multiculturalism, which often leads that to the death of your true. society. So I agree, state and church should, state and religion should be, but, but when politics is uninformed by religious values, it tends to collapse into materialism and greed and a lack of respect for cultural values of any kind. I agree. I was talking about that uh, to one of my friend. Uh, she's from Algeria, and I'm trying to explain to her the kind of uh, cultural malaise that's going on here. And I was explaining to her, sure. She told me, well, you guys don't practice any kind of religion anymore. And I said, sure. But our entire society's culture is based on those religious values. And if you take away the foundation, the whole structure crumbles. And uh, to get back to uh, Quebec's history, essentially what happened at that moment is that the uh, union movement and the nationalist movement, the nationalist movement used to be very pushed 
very uh, propelled by the Union Nationale, by uh, National Union and uh, Duplessis. He was the one, for instance, who came up with uh, Quebec's flag. He was very uh, in your face uh, with the federal government. He was pretty much the one who, uh, in a certain way, supercharged uh, Quebec's pride and nationalism. Right, and just and, for those who don't know, like, I mean, Daughters of the American Revolution has nothing on the Purlin idea, like the pure wool, like, are you one of the original settlers in, can you trace your lineage back? I mean, this is, that used to be very, very important in Quebec. Yes, uh, to the point where uh, there's a lot of open scorn to uh, French, French people here. Uh, we even just call them des français, just like fucking French. Because, you know, they're French, but not the good kind. You, you see the type of thing. And, uh, yeah, so when this nationalism was all of a sudden uh, found rudderless without being attached to the uh, Union Nationale, what happened was that it was uh, essentially taken over by Marxists to the point where the uh, FLQ, which is the Front Libération du Québec, uh, a terrorist organization that used bombings to uh, push forward the cause of uh, Quebec's independence. Well, they kidnapped. Well, they kidnapped politicians. They killed one, right? Yeah. Yes, they kidnapped uh, Pierre Laporte, who yes. was a liberal, uh, a liberal politician, and they killed him. And when they released their manifesto to the media, it explicitly called for the creation of a Quebec Marxist-Leninist state. Just outright wait, wait, Marxism. Wait. Are you saying that there are leftist groups out there who might attempt to achieve their political objectives through violence? Let us make a big X in history, because that's never going to happen again. Of course. I mean, when would that ever happen in the past or in the future? And yeah, basically what happened is that the uh, now, for the moment, the nationalist movement is very, very still lefty. Uh, the main party attached to uh, sovereignty, the Parti Québécois here uh, in the province, is uh, pretty explicitly in bed with the major public unions. And because of that, uh, that's actually one, one of the things that, uh, that probed me asking my question to you. Because something I noticed is that nationalism is going forward everywhere in the world. When it's actually going backwards in Quebec, people are less and less uh, nationalistic about the Quebec nation. But I, I wonder, some, sorry to interrupt, but I, I wonder yeah. if <clears throat> I wonder if, if people like the FLQ and, and, and those groups, if they wanted more separatism within Quebec because Canada stood in the way of their Marxist paradise, you know, like the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Constitution that was repatriated and so on, that mm -hmm. it's easier to achieve your Marxist paradise if you're not weighed down by sort of federal statutes and law. That is possible. Uh, if I remember correctly, the FLQ was most active in the 70s. Um, I'm a little bit fuzzy about the date when a, uh, when uh, Trudeau went to get back the the Quebec Constitution. Was that in the mid-80s or No, that was uh, mid-70s? They started negotiations in November of 81, and the Constitution uh, Act was 1982. That's it. Uh, the FLQ's worst uh, worst period was in the, I think, the mid seventies. I think it, there was something called the the October Crisis, during which the FLQ's activity had uh, increased such a point when they kidnapped the pollution that uh, Trudeau actually called the uh, the War Measure Law, the uh, Loi des Mesures de Guerre, that oh, yeah, yeah. basically just, just put martial law said, in Quebec. Right? Yes, exactly. Because you know, once again, when a leftist wants something to happen, what is he going to do? Grab a gun. But you can't have guns. <laughs> well, no, Canada's pretty not too bad for for gun ownership. But and and but the the repatriation of the Constitution had something to do. What well, at least this is what Trudeau said. It had something to do with um, the um, referendum in nineteen 
80. And yes. um, so he's like, okay, we're going to patriate the Constitution and, and bring it back and so on, I guess, to strengthen federalism and all that. And you know, there's a lot of machinations that came out of this that um, uh, were pr- uh, quite gripping at the time. I remember following them quite closely at the time. That's it. And ever since then, uh, all that I've seen is that Quebec nationalism has started to be, ever since the last failed referendum, Quebec nationalism started going on a downward spiral. And that's something that's a little bit interesting to me because you can see nationalism on the rise everywhere except here. And what I notice is that it's right-wing nationalism that's on the rise everywhere in the world. Whereas in Quebec, nationalism is nowadays pretty much associated to leftism. Well, and yeah, I th- but I mean, the the left, the, the hard left, they're not motivated by a love of the poor. They're motivated by hatred of the rich. And in Western countries, mm-hmm. the rich tend to be white males for a variety of reasons we've gone into in the show before. And so, you know, they institute communism to destroy the successful, to destroy the rich, to destroy the able, to destroy the intelligent and the ambitious and the successful. I mean, it's just Nietzschean low-rent resentment of smarter and, and better people. And so the original goal of the left, of course, was to destroy the successful people through direct control in communism. When that fell apart in the 60s, they turned to immigration as the methodology they were going to use to troll Christians and, and harm the dominant group in their society mm-hmm. and that's very true i can see in quebec there's a lot of immigration and it's not the same place anymore not at all the uh, i remember when i was a child uh it was i i lived in a suburb of montreal fairly on the north shore and when I was a child uh, we would routinely have those kinds of like small street festivals where it was just like all of our street, we were on a closed-up street, and we'd just all get together. We'd rent uh, festival equipment, uh, tents and everything, and we'd just have like a little cookout, a little barbecue. But as time went on, that things like that just stopped happening. Well, we, we know statistically that um, multiculturalism and diversity kills community. I've observed that yeah. firsthand, and frankly, we didn't even get that much diversity uh, back when I started to first experience that. And it just, nowadays, even in the suburbs, you can see that there's far less white people. And uh, the, the, the kind of like Quebec nation as a, as a concept, I feel, is slowly dying. It's reached a point where the local uh, party in power in, in the province, the Liberal Party, they're plagued by constant corruption scandals. And when I mean corruption, I mean outright ties to the mafia that oh, kind yeah, of bad no, stuff I, I've, I've read some of the stuff like the there's journalists was it in montreal and other places the journalists who are just like constantly uncovering mob ties uh, and yeah and it's huge amounts particularly with public construction which has always been kind of a feeding ground for organized crime i mean it's shocking stuff oh yeah it's insane and despite all of that the uh, the other parties are completely unable to uh, dislodge them because the biggest other party is attached to uh, the sovereignty movement. So you can see that there's a real complete... um, People just aren't buying that kind of movement anymore. Well, I mean, the the ethnic vote is, is, you know, they want to have their own neighborhoods where they can be among their own ethnicity, their own culture, but they don't want whites to have that, right? I mean, that's sort of fairly inevitable, where to the point where they're just willing to and this is why one of the reasons why multiculturalism doesn't work is that you you get groups in and they start voting according to their group interest rather than the good of the 
country as a whole. And and so, of course, you're not going to get um, you, you're going to get groups come in from particularly third world countries, they're going to vote for the left. And the left then dangles more and further immigration in. Like I was talking with Faith Goldie recently, she was pointing out 300,000 immigrants a year into Canada, uh, and three quarters of them are are non-whites. And yes. um, so, of course, they're going to vote for, I mean, are they going to vote to stop immigration, those groups? No, because they want their friends, their family, and, and more people to come in, and and they want their own particular... I mean, people have this idea, like like human groups just somehow live in harmony together. I think they can if there's no state. Separation of state and ethnicity is is as essential as separation of church and state. But the sum total of human history is endless warfare between competing groups. Two subspecies don't inhabit the same geographical area for long. One will always displace the other. And this idea, it's a complete naive reading of of history. It's like basing your biology on children's books where the fuzzy animals all hug each other. You know, it's like, that's not how it works in nature. And it sure as hell isn't how it works between human groups. They they compete, they have in-group preferences. They, you know, this is basically how evolution uh, works is in-group preferences for genetic proximity. And there's conflict Mm -hmm. and there's win-lose. And there's not uh, examples of successful long-term cooperation between uh, groups and Simply repeating diversity is a strength like some sort of brain-deadening mantra is not going to change the basic reality of a tribal species. And um, again, I think it all could work fairly well. But when you have the state, like as you know, when the state had the power to control uh, religion, then everybody tried to control the state to impose their religion. When the state has the power to control demographics through the welfare state, through immigration policy and so on, then each group is going to try and control the state's capacity to enhance and grow their own group. And it's, you know, anybody who thinks otherwise is naive or um, tousled. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, diversity is our greatest strength, uh, Knard, is something I never actually got because I, I know history pretty well. And when you look at various nations that went all in on multiculturalism back in the day, let's say the Roman Empire, as it became more diverse, it became weaker. Or let's look at uh, the Ottoman Empire, a massive empire unable to defeat Austria, despite having huge technological and uh, numerical advantages. But they were very diverse, whereas Austria were one united people. So you can see that this entire thing of diversity is a strength. If it's a strength, how come was the Ottoman Empire, once again, which was richer uh, and frankly, more advanced for quite a while, why didn't it just steamroll over Europe? Why didn't it keep becoming more and more advanced in Europe comparatively? The phrase diversity of strength is just an intelligence test. That's all it is. And it's depressing how many people fail it. Because if something is true, you don't have to keep repeating it. You know, I don't don't start off every show with, yep, still bald. (laughs) I mean, if something's true, (laughs) you don't have to keep repeating it over. Repetition is for things that aren't true. You know, you don't, I hope two and two is still four today. I better check. I better repeat, chant that to myself in the mirror, you know, like that old Stuart Smalley character from, I think it was Saturday Night Live. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people just like me. You have to repeat that to yourself in the mirror every morning because no one likes you. I mean, they like the guy even less now that he's become a politician of from hell. But um, so this, you know, diversity of strength, got to repeat it, got to repeat it, got to, why do you have to repeat it? You know, you don't, uh, you (laughs) You don't you don't see politicians going up to the podium every day and say Google is a valuable company, Amazon makes money, you know, things that are true that you, you know uh, whatever, you know b- books can help you be smarter, <laughs> typing is a useful skill. Things that are true more or less, so you don't need to constantly repeat them. 
Um, we still have currency. That's good. You know I mean, so it is funny. You know, it's just an intent. Like, why do you need to? Smart people know that people repeat stuff because they don't believe it, and it's not true. And yeah, it's um, the old, it's the old Dick, uh, it's the old proverb that a big lie repeated often enough starts people start believe it. Well, yes, but but unfortunately, if something isn't true, reality is constantly denying it. Right? Yes. You, you, you have to go to college or you'll never get a good job. Like, well, no, that's not true. In fact, going to college will probably prevent you from getting a good job because you won't be able to negotiate because you'll be too full of student debt. Um, so I think that it's just an intelligence. People who are desperate to believe stuff that's not true constantly need to go back to the well of repetition, right? Like, you know, your body mm-hmm. runs out of water, so you've got to go drink some more water. And, you know, reality keeps denying your lies, so you have to keep going back for reinforcement. And so whatever people just repeat over and over and over again, I mean, it's not true. It's not true. You don't sit here. The world's still still a sphere this morning. <laughs> have to repeat diversity. Diversity is a strength. The world's still a sphere. Stars are bright. Light is dark. Like night is dark. Stars are bright. You know, clouds are high and, and, and the ground is low. You, d- you don't need to repeat, repeat two stuff. Well, sometimes you do need to repeat uh, the uh, Earth is round thing. I mean, I heard your interview with the Flat Earther. Sometimes you need to repeat it, it seems. Well, yes, but that's another <laughs> kind of intelligence test now, isn't it? <laughs> so That's very true. Yeah, no, it is. So, and, and there's, you know, estimates that since the 19th century, we've lost uh, two two standard deviations of IQ points in the West. There uh, is is five, five to six IQ point drop in France for obvious reasons. Over the last, yes. uh, um, uh, over the last uh, decade or two, and and yeah, I mean, it, you repeat it's repeated because it's not true, and and smart people know that, and dumb people have to keep going back to the well to keep being told stuff that isn't true. Yeah, and speaking of France and diversity, I actually know someone who uh, who is French, lives in France, and his uh, brother explicitly joined the army so that he would be better situated to help his family during the the upcoming civil war. Not if yeah. there is a civil war, when it will happen. Yeah. So you can see that the people's view on the ground is very, very grim. Yeah, not grim enough to try and come up with a political solution. Yeah, well, that, that would involve uh, them actually doing some, something constructive rather than just writing as soon as you try to cut benefits. Well, this is the thing, right? This is the thing that um, nobody's had any luck talking to the boomers about cutting their benefits, and therefore yes. everything else falls from there. I mean, I, I don't blame the migrants. I don't blame the immigrants. I mean, this is exactly what I would do if I was in their situation. The problem is with the boomers who sold their soul and freedoms for state power and going to the boomers and saying, sorry, we can't afford any of these benefits. I mean, look what the hell's going on in Illinois these days. I mean, it's just one step above junk bond status, and then they can't. They haven't passed a budget in two years. Why? Because nobody's able to talk to people and say, "There's no money. You, we can't pay your benefits." Because people will go mental. The boomers will go mental if you if you get between them and their government cheese, uh, and uh, everything else falls from that. Because if we could find a way to restrain government spending uh, and control and diminish the welfare state and all of that, then. Um, that would be a whole different matter. But uh, it's all a shadow cast by the fact that the boomers um, won't have any kind of rational conversation about their free stuff because they become weak, entitled, and greedy people as a whole. And um, it's wretched what they've done to the young. Trust me, I fully agree with you there. And one of the things that keeps me warm at night is the scenario that's every day coming to be uh, a little bit more plausible that 
before they die, there's going to be a huge collapse in uh, what government programs can provide. And at the same time, as a result, there, there will be a huge collapse in asset prices. So that <laughs> after having made their bed this entire time, now they're just stuck in it. They're, they couldn't get away with that situation. Besides, maybe if their kids help, but then again, they're the boomers. I don't uh, there'll know. be other groups in society that will step up and say, we'll pay. Just vote for oh, us. Christ, I hope not. Well, you know, that that's an opportunity. Uh, these kinds of collapses, it, it can go either way. All right. So, yeah. I got to move on to the next caller, but thanks very much for the uh, call. And it was a great pleasure to chat some Connect History. Hey, look, there's your CanCon naggers. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And feel free to call back right. anytime. Thanks, Stefan. Yeah, have a nice day. All right. Up next, we have Connor. Connor wrote in and said, My parents were divorced two years ago, and in the process, I witnessed my father become a shadow of his former self. Now, all around me, I see what appear to be broken men and emasculated young boys. Anyone listening to your show should know the causes of this fall of man, the consequences of which are deep, personal, and far-reaching. In this era, what can a youth like myself do to be a real man amid such hostility towards masculinity and animosity towards the traditional concept of manliness? That's from Connor. Oh, hey, Connor. How you doing? Hey, Steph. I'm doing really well. Tell me about what happened with your dad, if you don't mind. I don't. I mean, people who haven't seen this kind of scenario um, probably could benefit from hearing about it. Well, uh, first, do you have any? Uh, sorry, are you getting echoes on your end? Just because I, I had to disconnect my microphone. No, it's good. Are you, okay. So, um, basically, what happened? Uh, so, I was I was gone at the time. I, I was um, I, I'm a Mormon, so I was on a I was on a mission. Um, so I was gone for two years and about halfway through, I didn't know that there were any problems with my, with my parents' marriage. I had no idea. And then uh, I got a phone call that they, that they were separating and that was a complete shocker for me. I had, I had no idea what was going on. And when I got back, I, uh, I lived with my dad just cause I've always been a little bit closer to my dad. I, I have always loved and had a good relationship with my mom. Um, but I just have always been closer with my dad. We just have personalities that mesh. So uh, when I got back home, I remember he, um, just the way he was just so depressed and he was so, he felt so awful about himself. He, um, he, he very much blamed himself for what happened, um, that, that, uh, that they'd been separated. He wasn't unfaithful or anything. Um, that, that it's, it's a bit complicated how it ended up happening, but in any case, so he, he felt a lot of blame. And when I started digging into it, it, like to give you an idea of how, of how crippled he seemed com- compared to the you know strong man that I'd always known, he he told me that in the uh, that he was going to go to court with with my mom, and he said I'm not going to get a lawyer. I'm just going to go because I feel so horrible. I'm gonna I'm just going to go in like as myself, like you know naked essentially, and. And I said, I told him, like, Dad, wake up, <laughs> like, get get off your knees, like, get get up, stand up, and and stand up for yourself. And I and I started to help him understand that that while um while yeah he may have made a mistake at the end of the day it was my mom's decision to leave. And uh, I started learning more um, when he told me about the psychologist that they went to go see uh, that that he and my mom went to go see before before their marriage ended. And, um, he told me, it, he just told me basically what the stuff that, that, uh, that he told, that the doctor had told him that the psychologist had told him. And, uh, 
my mom had had been reading had been reading books um, that. Um, sorry, this might seem a little bit jumbled, but she was reading a lot of books around about the time that she left. That um, where where the it, it was talking about uh, it, to give you an idea, like the titles were um, uh, putting away the nice girl syndrome and all these like female horrific books about female empowerment and stuff like that that are really just man hating books, and so she projected this image onto my dad of this horrible, abusive, evil monster. And the psychologist that my dad was, that my parents were working with, he, he echoed the same thing. He, it, my dad was telling me the stuff that he said, and, and my dad believed it, that, that at his heart, my dad was this horrible, abusive person. And there were things about his nature that just simply could not be changed. And, uh, and it made me really, really angry because my dad is not a horrible, evil, abusive monster. <laughs> and, uh, and he, and he came to believe all that. And so, um, I, um, I don't think it was particularly healthy for me, but I kind of essentially was his therapist in, in some ways, like I was his only outlet really, um, to talk to when I got back home. And, um, uh, what else would you like to know? Why did she divorce him? Uh, so from, from what I, from what I understand, um, my, uh, my, my mother previous to them getting married, um, my mother had had a relationship with somebody from what I, I from what I understand. And my dad uh, was, was always jealous of this relationship. And so every so often he would, he would bring up, um, it, he would use it almost like a, like a tool, like a, almost as a, as a. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like he would use it as a tool to, um, to have influence. Um, he'd make a feel bad I, about this prior relationship. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it was not an, it was not an often thing. Like the number of times that my parents had like arguments was few and far between. Like I, there was never any yelling in my house. It was, I mean, um, when, when my dad, when my dad was away from home and my mom was trying to get us to do stuff, there might be a little bit of yelling, but, but, um, but other than that, not really. And, uh, if, if I'm being honest, I think, I think my mom left, uh, because she caught the feminism bug. Um, Oh yeah. That there's this whole world of authentic empowerment and liberty and freedom, and you get to free yourself from the chains of marriage and the oppressive patriarch and blah, 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 right. Yeah, and and I mean I don't I don't think that my mom understands all the minutia of it, but I mean like I mean, talking like, to men. Men are susceptible to superhero fantasies, and women are susceptible to victim narratives. It's just one of the basic differences. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to yes. go to war, and I'm going to win. That's the man's sort of weakness for superhero, and it's like I've been hard done by my natural self. I've been prevented from expressing itself, and I don't have a voice. It's like yeah, it's just um, it's the two weaknesses of the genders. Yeah, I suppose so. So. Um... I mean, it makes sense. And, and, um, so fortunately my dad didn't end up getting a lawyer, a, a, a really good one. <laughs> and because I think, I think my mom was expecting as it has happens in most, it seems, uh, divorce cases. I mean, if you think of any divorced couple, who do the kids always end up with? It tends to be with the mom. Um, and I think, I think my mother was expecting that my dad would roll over and, um, and I'm glad I got home and talked to him before he did do that. Right. Um, 
and could so, have been raised by a feminist. Uh, exactly. Um, and it was, it, it's just, it's insane. Like talking to my, it's been very difficult to have, like, it's, it's very confusing for me because I have always had a very good relationship with my, with both of my parents. Um, I've always been closer to my dad just because I think personality wise, we're, we're more similar, but, um, but with my mom, I've always had a good relationship. I could always talk to her. Um, and, and I think because she was married, she tended to have very similar opinions to my dad, like politically and everything. And I could, I could talk to her about a lot of things that were, that were controversial and, uh, and there wasn't really an issue. Like she would always say, Oh, how interesting and stuff like that. But now, um, it's quite the opposite. She is, um, a lot more closed to that sort of thing. And, and I mean, it makes sense because it makes sense that she would be close to those to those issues like feminism and stuff like that, because it really is what is justifying her, um, her lifestyle at the moment. Right. Um, what, what age range was your mom in when she got into this stuff? When she got into the, the, the horrible books. (laughs) Um, she, uh, so my, my parents are both around, around 50 right now. And, and it happened just about, uh, two years ago, a little more than like three. Oh, wow. Like three years ago. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, <clears throat> another kind of pattern as well. You know, everyone talks about the midlife crisis of men. Nobody talks about the midlife crisis of women. And the midlife crisis was, of women yeah. is very important. Yeah. When you lose your sexual market value, and for women, it happens like literally overnight sometimes. Mm-hmm. There is a, um, there's a huge challenge. There's a huge challenge. Women get into politics. Uh, women get into feminism. Women get into all kinds of stuff when their sexual market value declines. And I have no problem with that at all. I think it's great to get into various ideas. Unfortunately, though, it's like there's this massive swing from dominance to victimhood, right? Because as I talked about with the young woman earlier, yeah, when women are young and in their prime, there's a huge amount of sexual market value power. And combined with the fact that democracy is not fair between the genders, because yeah. women outvote men, because women live longer yeah. than men. Yeah. And so uh, women have greater needs from government because women can end up as single moms and women's health care is more expensive than men's health care. And so women have greater needs from government and women outvote men. You can't, you can't, do, I mean, you can't do anything about that. I mean, within mm-hmm. the context of, of the system as it stands, women are always going to outvote men. There's really nothing you can do about it. Nice. And so... For some reason, women go from power when they're young to victimhood when they get older. But the victimhood gives them another kind of power. You understand? It, it is when they have sexual power, it's because they are being desired. But when they end up with negative power, like that's kind of positive power, like the reward of, of sexual access and all that kind of stuff. Sorry to talk about your mom this way, but you know what I mean. And sure, yeah, I so that's kind of positive power where women are desired. So then when a woman loses her sexual market value power but she still wants power so how does she get it well she gets it by being a victim she gets it by being a victim and then she allows she she gets to dominate people not by being sexually desirable but by being a victim who nags and who is angry and who is impatient and who is short-tempered and who is always right right see when you're when you're young as a woman nobody tells you that you're wrong because they all want to get in your pants (laughs) i mean of course right you don't get heavily criticized as a woman when you're young because high sexual market value and so on. So then when you get 
older, there's a sort of tipping point as a woman where men are going to start to shockingly start to tell you the truth because your sexual market value has vanished, right? And yeah. so then how do you keep men from telling you the truth or people from telling you the truth? Well, you become a brittle, angry feminista, right? And and you become a victim and then you get, you know, you nag people and you get angry. And no, no, now still no one can tell you anything or correct you. And yeah. um, this is, I don't know how to solve any of this. I'm just sort of trying to describe it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I understand. And, and it's the reason why it's so frustrating and confusing for me is that um, I, I hate to look at my mom in that way because it is because it's never been like that traditionally, if, if you understand what I mean. Um, and I mean, the, the thing that that made me so frustrated with with her about about all of this is that so she she accuses my dad of being this horrible, evil, horrific monster. And to me, I think, well, how did you not realize this before? You were married to him for 25 years. So how uh, did this not? consciousness. I, that's, I know. <laughs> you know, I, so... I just, I didn't have this part of my brain. I, I mean, leftists do this all the time, false consciousness. Why is it right. that construction workers look at their boss with sympathy who has to stay all night dealing with invoices and angry suppliers and irate customers and taxes? And they're like, whoa, I'm so glad we get to go home. Why is it that the workers are so happy and would never want to be the boss? Well, false consciousness, you see, it's not that it's a rational exchange of particular values and virtues and that there's costs and benefits to being a, both a worker and a boss. They just say it's false consciousness, that they, they are angry, they just don't know it. And then what they do is to the, the leftists, what they do if they get a hold of these kinds of people is they say, well, we're now telling you the truth, but what they're doing is creating resentment that wasn't there before. And then exactly. they say, oh, the resentment always was there. It just didn't come out till we told you the truth. But the reality is that you no more had resentment than you have tranquilizer before somebody blows a blow dart into your neck, right? It's like, well, I'm I'm just liberating the, the tranquilizer that was there initially or, or originally. It's like, no, you, you put this poison into my system. And uh, so, yeah, this is one of these self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, the moment you know the truth, you're going to get really angry. The truth is you're a victim. The truth is there are assholes all around you. The truth, right? And then uh, next thing you know, you're angry. It's like, ah, I see, I told you the truth. And now you're angry. It's like, nope, you, you just stoked someone up. That's not the same as telling them the truth. Yeah, I mean, and it's frustrating because, I mean, so, I mean, there really are only two options here. Either, either um, my dad was, in fact, an abusive, horrible monster, and my mom is just incredibly ignorant and stupid, which she's not. <laughs> so that can't be it. Or, I, or I, I mean, I guess that there's a third option that my dad suddenly turned into a horrible, evil, abusive monster. Um, but I don't find that likely because, I mean, in my ex experience since I've been home, my dad has only been a better person um, after this. He's been incredibly humbled, that's for sure. And... Um, and I mean, so, I mean, really the only two options are that either he was or he wasn't. So, I mean, that, that, that's, what's really frustrating for me. But, but I guess going back more to my question is that when I, when I came home, uh, he really was a, a shell and a, and a, just a, a shadow of himself. And I kind of started to notice more, especially listening to your show and, and, uh, listening to, to a lot of other people talk and just, um, I mean, I'd, I'd always kind of known this because, you know, growing up in the, in the Mormon church, my, my seminary teacher, um, he was always, he was a, a very conservative right wing libertarian. And, uh, and he would, he would show us, you know, well, he'd explain to us like how, how males have been, how men have been ripped on for so long, like with just, you know, the Simpsons, 
Homer Simpson is a, is a retard, you know, <laughs> essentially. Well, and every single, like you, the girls are always geniuses and the boys are always exactly. dumb. Like, you exactly. know, uh, in, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Modern Family. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, well, so in it, there's a, a young boy. I guess he's not young anymore. He's a teenager now, maybe late teens. And there's a girl. And the girl is played by an actress named Ariel Winter. And um, she, she had it rough. I think she's uh, legally separated from her mother. Uh, not, not particularly smart. But she's portrayed as the genius in the show, right? Now, the boy is, of course, inevitably portrayed as uh, an idiot, right? He's, he's dumb. Now, the reality is the boy is really, really intelligent, like the actual actor who plays him. Like Superman's a crazy high IQ, really, really smart, straight A's and everything he touches, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, Ariel Winter, I mean, she's, you know, I guess nice enough person, but she's sure showing a lot of skin on the internet kind of stuff, right? So she's using her sexual market value. So she's supposed to be the genius in the family, and the boy has to be dumb. But in reality, I'm not saying she's dumb, but the boy, for sure, the actor is, uh, is a genius. And this is just inevitable and it's part of the leftist plan you know stoke women full of ambition and genetically it's not likely to pan out because as we've talked about before at the very highest levels of iq it's sorry it's just a bit of a sausage fest that's just the way that nature has played things out if uh, if it's sexist well we can blame mother nature who apparently is a female for all the sexism but um yeah just uh it's uh uh, you always have to portray the women as geniuses, and you. Always, and it's funny thing too is that you say uh, like this this thing in feminism where they say, well, the reason that there aren't more female engineers is they're not mentored enough. You see, they don't get enough examples. Exactly. Yeah. They need mentoring. They need they need to see female engineers in order to realize that they can become female engineers. It's like, how retarded is that? <laughs> I women who would have so little respect. As, well, a woman can't possibly think she could be an engineer unless she saw a female engineer. It's like what? Well. I mean, I mean, they the women. They really think like it. I mean, you know, there's the, um, the the whole idea that they're projecting their their own um, their own thoughts and their own belittling of women onto oh, yeah. onto conservatives. Like that's all it is. You have to portray women as so stupid that they can't possibly think they could be engineers. And the, but the funny thing is, they say, "Well, see, little girls, they need to see scientists so that they can imagine. They need to be mentored. They need female examples. They need female mentors, and so on, right?" And then you say, "Well, don't little boys, uh, kids of single moms, need male role models? Don't they need fathers?" Oh no. It's so, I mean, it's yeah. so one-sided. Yeah. If, if women need mentors, little girls need mentors in order to grow up into fine young women and they need female examples and female mentoring, don't little boys need fathers? Oh, no. Yeah. no that's, that's, that's just different mystery-wise. The self-unawareness of these people is, is, is really staggering. Well, no, it's not. It's not. Their purpose is not self-awareness. Their purpose is power. Their purpose is propaganda. And their purpose is the destruction of the attractiveness I, I, of Western women. But sorry, go ahead. What I'm saying is that, I mean, coming from myself, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I generally perceive myself as a little bit more self-aware than they are. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, well, it's I hard. So. It's, it's hard to imagine being in a spot like that. It's hard to imagine being, being, being so self-unaware. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Well, then why is it that girls do so badly without fathers? If girls only need female mentors and moms can be just as well. I mean, why is it that girls who grow up without fathers statistically yeah. do pretty terribly? I mean, women are not good. Uh, being the only parent. I mean, I don't know men. I don't know if it's been studied that much. I, I've heard some positive indications. I haven't seen anything final. 
But that's not the issue. The issue is um, that women are bad at being single moms. But women are bad right. at being parents if there's no no husband around. They're certainly bad at being providers for obvious reasons, and they're bad at being parents. But you, yeah, women and boys suffer from single moms. But you can't talk about that because. Uh, leftists need single moms so they can keep growing the state, right? I mean, they don't care about kids. They don't care about the survival of the family. They don't care about the survival of civilization. Hell, they don't want it to survive in its current form. Right. They just want more and more power. And like any drug dealer who wants to grow his empire, he can get more and more people addicted. Fantastic. And you can get on the left more and more people addicted to the state by smashing the family. Damn, that family's got to go because power is the only star they guide their horrible ship by. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I mean, going going back to my question about like about being a man, um, it's it's frustrating for me too because I mean, it, this culture has I mean, you should know the Mormon Church is incredibly conservative. <laughs> um, yeah, but they've but had even, their social justice warriors in more recently too, haven't they? We we very much have. And there there is a direct and as also so like the, the the idea is not to reform the church. The idea is to destroy the church and and. Uh, that's at least that's what it seems to be. But um, I look up at at a lot of people who, um, at a lot of the men in our in our in our church, and um, and you know like about the boomer age and and uh, some of the older Gen Xers, and they'll get up onto the pulpit like when it when they give a talk or or whatever, and they'll say something to the effect of of. Or no, no, sorry, the other way around. The, the, the women will get up and they will bear their test. They'll bear their testimony or whatever. Or they'll be up at the pulpit and they'll say something to the effect of, "Oh yeah, I raised five boys, my four children, and my and my husband." And oh ho ho, the crowd laughs. And um, and men often say like all the time. The the older men in the church who are who are often uh, very overweight and you know they, they just they just don't look like like I guess if you look back. To old, I think I think old propaganda is is a good. It's almost a good way to. I think it's a good thing to look at as far as like what what manliness should look like in a way, because um, if you look at like 1940s World War II propaganda, all the men you see are really muscular, really intelligent looking, um, you know, well groomed and stuff like that. Um, and and the men I see today, I mean, they they don't seem to take very good care of themselves. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they held themselves really in that high esteem either because they talk about themselves like uh, they talk about their, you know, the things like she's my better half and stuff like that. But but to the extent of like. No, but that's that's so pathetic. I, I know. No, no, no. And, and, and I want to point this out. It's like men have the capacity. We have the capacity to laugh at ourselves because we're not insecure, weak idiots. Right. Right. So yes, I can make fun of myself and all that, but you know, for women to make make fun of women, <gasps> you know, and it's like, when did women get to be so fragile? I mean, one of the things yeah. that Alex de Tocqueville said about democracy in America, in the famous book Democracy in America, was he said that the foundation of the excellence of American society was in the strength and character and resilience of the women. Women used to be beasts. They used to be monstrous. They used to be incredibly strong and incredibly able. And they used to, you know, trust pigs and, and run farms. And, you know, they used to just raise kids and they strong uh, educators. And, and they used to be pillars of the community and, and founders of charities. And they used to just have incredible influence in society and fantastic writers. Yeah. Right? There's all they say, oh, you know, it's also sexist against women. It's like not in the fiction world because women's language skills are equal to, if not superior to men. And therefore, women dominate in many ways in the writing world. And um, that's 
all of the unfairness that there is in the world, right? And so women in the West, and they used to be incredible. They used to just be fantastic. They didn't used to be these like neurotic, insecure, aggressive, manipulative, uh, you know, SSRI addicted, antidepressant chewing insomniacs of, of latent <laughs> leftist feminist hostility. This is not, this is like the new degraded women, as, as is you're talking about the new degraded uh, men. The mm. sociopaths in society view everyone as mere tools to their power. Like you, if you want to go cut down a tree, you pick up an axe. You don't think about the feelings of the axe. You don't think about whether the axe wants to be part of this. It's like, no, that's my tool. I got to gotta cut down the tree and I, yeah, I got to cut down civilization. And if the relationship between the gender has to go, well, that's, you know, I don't care. I'm going to cut down civilization. I want power. And uh, I need to destabilize society in order to make people dependent upon my power and justify its expansion. So we're, we're literally just, we're livestock. I've said this in the story of your enslavement and believe it even more strongly now than before, which is livestock. Right. The fact that women's right. happiness has gone down every decade feminism has been implemented, that, that women are more miserable now than they've been since women's happiness was measured, they don't care. Right. That's kind well, of the point. Right. And so turning people into this, and most people are helpless to resist propaganda. That's why propaganda works. Most people rely on people like you and I to guard. You know, I can't go in and get rid of the common cold virus with a fork in my body. I rely on my antibodies. It's not a conscious process for me. I just go, boys, do what you need to do. And right. most people can't resist propaganda. That's why propaganda is so effective and so tempting for people in power. They rely on people like us to push back against it and make sure that these people are exposed. But of course, as they're exposed, they're dangerous. They're feral. They're difficult and, and predatory. And uh, not us. They're not us. They're not part of us. They're not part of civilization, right? There was an old story about sociopaths uh, in, in the Inuit, right? The sort of what used to be called the Eskimos. And they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes there's guys, they eat all the hunt. Uh, they pretend that they're sick and then they try and bang your wives when you go off hunting and stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, we've never figured out a way to fix them. We just, we just pushed them off a glacier at one point and <laughs> just get on with our day. You, you can't do anything to fix this. And uh, yeah, the not usness of these kinds of people is really, really important too. Uh, to understand. And um, as far as, you know, what do you do to be a real man? Well, first of all, check your testosterone levels. You know, testosterone levels, as I talked about recently with Faith Goldie, have gone down like 50% since the Second World War, going down like one percentage point a year for men. Really? Yeah, check check your testosterone levels. I mean, it's it's important. It's kind of a, one of the things that makes you a man. And... Um, I don't know that the reason for this is is in debate, right? She thinks it's soy, other people talk to plastic bottles or um, the water supply, um, or, you know, it could be that as women become more masculine, both as a result of being single moms and uh, as a result of um, uh, well, birth control pills, giving them different hormones and so on. So check, check your testosterone levels. You, you can't will what is hormonally deficient in your so yeah. and and men are going to have to be i'm sorry you wanted to say something before i moved on to the next point no i was i was just going to say well i mean just i i mean i, I don't know about all the plastic bottle stuff and, and you know uh i guess alex jones would be a good resource for that but um well, it doesn't really matter but, in a way i mean just get your levels checked yeah. for sure and you know look up and you know well i guess people will of course if it was a woman's issue it'd be all over the place but because it's men well, they're kind I, of disposable gonna, then 
I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the strength of women, like, I don't know if you know anything about the Mormon church, but the Mormon pioneers, you read some stories about the women in, in those, in those companies. And it is staggering. Just, it's amazing. The, the strength and the, and the, uh, the perseverance of those people, you know, men and women alike. And, uh, and, you know, the, the physical exertion that it took. And I mean, today we're, uh, we're, uh, I guess to, we're, we're fat and lazy and that we, we, you know, people go home and they watch TV, video games, whatever it is. You know, you, you talk about how when you, when you write, when you write books, you do it. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly how you do it, but uh, I guess you use dragon or whatever that software is and, and, uh, and bike as you do it. And I mean, that's I great. But these the, days. Okay. Run, wow. Talk. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm dying to find some place <laughs> where I can look up and I could hike and write a book. That would be fantastic. I mean, I can't look down in a little notebook or whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, you, you've got to keep moving. You, I haven't sat down to write a book in probably 15 years or 12 years for sure. So I mean, and I do I, the show standing, right, as everyone knows. I mean, sitting is the new smoking. And the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, as smoking has declined, smoking is a way of enhancing testosterone as well, which is one of the reasons why I'm sure it is uh, addictive for people. So, But, yeah, check your testosterone yeah. levels. I mean, I think I'm no doctor, but I think that's a worthwhile thing to do if people are – if men are out there lacking motivation and so on. But, sure. um, but uh, yeah. you know, the, the story is, of course, uh, Jesus, right? The, 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 I think that's the relevant one. Jesus was a man. And Jesus yeah. uh, sacrificed himself on the distrust of the world in order to save the soul of the planet, the souls of the planet. Right. And men have become very reasonable in the West, white men in particular, very reasonable. And unfortunately, it doesn't work. You guys have had 150 years to save Western civilization with your nice books and speeches and blog posts, and we're losing it hand over fist. So it's time to stop being so nice. It's time to stop. It's yeah. time to pick up the tools of the enemy who've been winning and use it to fight back on their own terms. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this is shocking and appalling to the people who apparently can't eat a cucumber unless the uh, – can't, can't eat cucumber sandwiches with any skin on the cucumber and they just need all the well, – Don't rattle really my china, you know, all the people who are like, uh, oh, I hope that the, more, the horse that's thundering by at Ascot doesn't get any mud on my <laughs> plus fours. Manhood is you achieve the objectives, not even despite people's negative views of what you're doing, but sometimes even because, right? But the new rights um, are willing to be in people's faces. They're willing to use the tools that the leftists have used to win. And they're willing to be difficult. They're willing to, uh, you know, the, the, sadly, we all hope that reason and evidence are going to win the day. And we're told that that society is founded on reason and evidence and, and it's sensible the way things work and people will listen to reason and evidence and so on. But it turns out they just tell you that to propagandize you as children. And when you grow up, you realize that reason and evidence does sweet fuck all for the most part in society. It's, it's a nice little thing to think about and I, I hope that one day we'll have a society where reason and evidence holds sway. But reason and evidence does not hold sway. Just look at the skeptic community and their views on race and IQ. Denial, 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 obfuscate, obfuscate, obfuscate. And when they finally lose the debate, they say, well, but, but, but let's say that it's true. What does it matter? How does it help? It's like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's I mean, what, what if the, what if the Christians had said, okay, sure, we accept the logical arguments there's no God, but how does it help? And they'd say, well, it doesn't matter what helps. It matters what's true. 
But now it's yeah. race and IQ. Oh, it's got to be somehow mysteriously pragmatic and productive in the long way in ways I can't understand. It's just, oh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah, embarrassing well, I mean, to see people that staunchly in denial about such an essential issue uh, and, and just bleating on about how, okay, well, maybe it's true, but what does it matter? It's like, who are you to say what the f- fucking truth matters or not? You're not the arbiter of what's true and what value. Anyway, go on. So you were saying? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I mean, that is, that's what I encounter on any, any sort of uh, – any sort of post on social media that I that I make um, is stating any of these any of these viewpoints. I mean, it, it's it's always met with first. Uh, I said hate before because the first thing that everyone says is, "Oh, you just hate such and such group." Um, uh, and well, then, and what I, that does, and this is the influence. Sorry to interrupt. The influence of the the, the feminine mindset, which is to translate yeah. facts into emotions, and right? Think and, that there's so, some sort of rebuttal. I mean, so exactly. like impugning emotional motives to what I'm saying is not an argument, but I guess it feels compelling to some people. Sure. So, I mean, and whenever I've, I've sort of realized that, I mean, earlier on back, back when I was like in high school and, uh, and, uh, I started waking up to all this stuff after I came home from my mission. Cause I mean, when you're gone, you, you, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about God 24 seven. So I mean, uh, when when I got home, uh, that's when I started waking up to it. And beforehand, before that, I would always try to be really civil and be really nice. And if someone didn't see my way of view, my point of view, I would I would uh, try to explain it to them logically. I mean, and I still do that. But but now I've realized that there's really no hope for these leftists <laughs> generally. Um, and so uh, I've made it my point just to make them look like idiots. And uh, and so I'll, I'll, uh, it's, I'll yeah, point out. It's become out. about branding now. I mean, the left, uh, the left sure. in general are losers, which is why they don't want fair rules. And it's why they want stuff yeah. for free. And it's why they use rage rather than reason because they're losers and they're low yes, quality they people in general. And um, like all low quality people, they want to cheat. They want to manipulate. They don't want an honest competition and they don't like objective rules. And right. uh, so the I'll- funny thing is two people saying, oh, you just hate people. It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, what about all the people who want white people dead? What about all the people who say that uh, white masculinity is toxic? What about all the people who are talking about some hateful imaginary patriarchy? I mean, that right. seems to me much more full of hate than anything I've ever heard from anyone not on the left. But um, yeah, it is. Uh, oh, I've translated your argument into emotions. <laughs> oh, man, that's, yeah. that's not even a civilization that's worth defending. Not that you could possibly defend it anyway. Yeah, but and what you were saying before, I mean, and so I, I, uh, the nice thing about whenever I post anything is, is that the, the the comfort, I guess, to me is that the silent majority is always on my side because I mean, if anyone's looking at my post or, or if anyone's reading it, I mean, it, it takes no courage to stand up and defend leftist talking points because they're the norm, um, and it's what we've been, it's what we've been taught our our whole lives and. Uh, but and so I mean I'll I'll uh, I'll show them that no I actually don't hate these people and even if I did it wouldn't no, really matter. It no, saying you don't hate it's falling is it's accepting the parameters of the argument. But but, what I, but no I no, never well, say my, that. my emotional I, state is not an argument. Yeah, oh, you exactly. just hate so and so. It's like well you apparently hate arguments and until you're willing to make one I don't have anything to respond. Well, like what, saying what falling I, into what, the trap what, of well I don't hate those people. It's like oh come on. Well, well I don't. What what I should say is that I I will. Um, I'll make a comment saying, well, I mean, how have you deduced that, that I do hate people, like whether or not I do, and it doesn't matter. And then I'll, you know, talk about other points, but it always, it's like what you said, it always devolves into, well, even if those stats are true, or even if what you said is true, what does it matter? 
um, it's, it's this kind of nihilistic. Um, it matters because if group differences are not well, the I know fault of white people, <laughs> then blaming white people for them is a horrendous injustice. If, if sure. saying that, yeah. that blacks underperform because of white racism is false because of the racial IQ difference, then blaming white racism is a horribly unjust, racist, vicious act against white people. It's like saying that, right. that white racism is why Chinese people are short. I mean, that is horribly racist. If, if racism is bad, which it is, then blaming white people for something they're not responsible for is horribly, horribly racist and gets people killed. And the fucking people think that it's not important to talk about what does it matter? No, you're a coward. I get it. You don't want to talk yeah. about this shit. It makes you uncomfortable. So, exactly. you know, pick up your fucking skirt and go elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's an insult to people who wear skirts, a lot of whom are a lot tougher than that. But nah, I get it. You're chicken. You're chicken. I get it. It's scary. I get it. You don't want to do it. But don't then say it's unimportant to try and rescue your semblance of courage. Jesus. Yeah. What, what if what if <laughs> what if white people were blaming black people for things that weren't their fault? Would that be unimportant and not worth talking about? Good lord. Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. sorry, guys, you're going to have to just stop being reasonable, stop being nice, stop making fun of yourself all the time, and stop rolling over. Unfortunately, yeah. we live in a world these days, partly as a result of multiculturalism and partly as a result of leftism, assholes get their way, and nice guys finish last. We have got back to that Darwinian part of society that we spent hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, desperately trying to get away from. We're right back there now. Squeaky wheels get the grease, difficult people get their way, and assholes get to rule. And I'm sorry, if you're going to be a nice guy, you're not only going to finish last, you're going to finish lost in history. You're going to finish gone. You're going to finish extinct. And so, uh, no, you're going to have to, um, you know, I'm not talking violence or anything illegal, but you're going to just have to be difficult, and you're going to have to be aggressive, and you're going to have to be not so nice. Um, and uh, that's going to result uh, in some sacrifice, which is why I talked about the Jesus thing earlier, that uh, that is going to require some sacrifice. And uh, right. there has become this hostility towards masculinity. Uh, white males are the only thing that stand between the Marxists and their goal, the leftists and their goal. Uh, and, um, of course, all this endless hatred and invective is going to be poured against uh, white white males. And so, sorry, you're just going to have to embrace your gender, you're going to have to embrace your ethnicity, and you're going to have to be proud of what you can bring to the world, at least as proud as everyone else, if, you know. So, I would say that um, no one's coming to save you, um, and you are in the only last permissible group to hate in the world. And um, because people are very tense and they need, a lot of people need someone to hate, you, I'm afraid, have become the targeted laser group of hatred uh, for a variety of historical reasons that are not your fault at all. It's horrible. Right. It's unjust. It's wrong. And uh, being nice about it isn't going to solve it. Well, I think, too, it's difficult for, uh, for, um, for Christians and especially, well, I don't know about especially Mormons, but, but um, in in the church. I mean, it seems like uh, there's this attitude that it's all turned the other cheek. I get it. Right. Well, I mean, here, it's all forgiveness I mean. and let's take the high ground and turn the other cheek. And it's emasculation because too many women have taken over the, the mindset and uh, women are not good at patrolling the perimeters of the tribe. As I've talked about before, women have wonderful strengths and abilities, but recognizing external threats is not one of them for a variety of reasons I've talked about before. But yeah. uh, no, there's an eye for an eye stuff, which is uh, pretty, it's a pretty important part of Christianity. And this muscular, tough Christianity that really was 
the, the, the norm, the standard in the 19th century uh, is something that uh, it's all become this like ut- unitarian feel good nature hugging bullshit. And uh, well, the world is a tough place. And uh, if you don't stand up for yourself, you're going to get uh, plowed under. Right. I was going to say that niceness has become, I mean, it's not talked about doctrinally, but I mean, it's become this, this uh, supposed Christ-like virtue. But, but I mean, the more I've been thinking about it, niceness, like Christ was, uh, from what we read, he, he was, he was kind to those who were humble and, and, uh, and he wanted the money changers. Exactly. No, if you ever want to know who, uh, who the livestock are in society, Uh, there's one very simple test. There's one very simple test to know who's enslaved, who are the livestock in society, who are the subjugated, who are the truly exploited. And it is the group that is not allowed to get angry. Mm-hmm. Right. And That's if you yeah. ever get angry and people are shocked and appalled and try and put you right back in the box, that tells you immediately, as sure as a brand on your chest, as surely as leg irons on your legs, that you are part of the livestock, that you are part of the subjugated and the exploited. And uh, if you're not allowed to get angry, that really is the very best reason to get angry that I can think of. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, a black guy gets angry about his history, sure, about the present. People are like, yeah, well, listen to that. Women get angry about it, and people get angry, but, oh, white males get angry. <gasps> KKK, right? I mean, this is this is the one, you know, there's the old saying, if you ever want to know who rules over you, look at who you're not allowed to criticize. But if you ever want to know who the subjugated class is, look at who's not allowed to get angry. So, okay, I'm going to close things off there. I thank everyone for a wonderful three and a half hour show. Really, really enjoyable. Thank you everyone so much for calling in. Your honesty oppresses and uh, impresses, oppresses, <laughs> sounds terrible. Your honesty impresses and amazes me and exalts me. Uh, and uh, I find it's a wonderful thing to partake of every single week. Thank you so much. Please, please check out freedomainradio.com slash donate to help this most excellent and important show do its most excellent and important work, which we cannot do without your support. Please, freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can check out our affiliate link if you've got some shopping to do. It costs you nothing. FDRURL.com slash Amazon. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. Thank you, everyone, so, so much. Have a great, great week. We'll talk to you soon.